it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It's the Dearly Departed Podcast. Featuring your host, historian Scott Michaels, and filmmaker Mike Dorsey. All right, everybody, welcome. It's Dearly Departed Podcast. Uh, I believe this is episode 27, so we made it to the 27 Club, Scott. Hooray! We're one of the few that are get, get out of it, right? Hopefully, fingers Hopefully, crossed. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> Yeah, not, uh, we don't. We don't want to be something for someone else's podcast, do we? Right. <laughs> no. The tragedy, <laughs> the tragic end of the dearly departed podcast. Next, on that's going to e. haunt me. One day, that's going to happen, and people are going to laugh. <laughs> so you know, hopefully not for a while, but they're going to go. Mm-hmm. It's about damn time I caught up to him. <laughs> I'll make sure that we would, that whatever tour is in your area puts your house on the route in your honor. Okay. okay? <laughs> so uh we taught we just recorded our patreon show where we went over uh the all the the folks that have passed away in the, the couple months since we did our last episode uh back in early march and uh so that's on our patreon so if you head over there and support us uh you can listen for as little as two dollars a month and, and that's uh, like a it's like a almost an hour-long show today that we did uh it is patreon page so yeah Yep. All the obituaries, not all of them, but most of them, and lots of weird off-the-cuff stories, which is what you guys <laughs> seem to like. So, uh, so yeah. What, what's happening in the world today? Uh, you just, we talked about this a little on our, uh, pa- on our Patreon, but you went on a road trip, a big cross-country one. Yeah. Yeah. I went to, uh, I went to Florida uh, two times, and uh, one time I went over, uh, we, we flew over to... Uh, uh, spend a little bit of time with my family. And then the second time I drove over with uh, my friend Jordan, who uh, his YouTube channel, Jordan the Lion, uh, he, he ended up relocating and we drove with his dog across the country doing lots of uh, odd little stops on the way and uh, making videos. So it, it's a lot of fun. We stopped in a, a lot of different places, so many places that it's like, I can't remember because it's so overwhelming, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. That's the first time I went. I just uploaded a video onto YouTube on the Walendas, the flying Walendas, who are mm. uh, like a weird obsession of buying a family of acrobats. And I was able to find their uh, their home where they where they lived and their grave where they're uh, where they're all buried. And uh, since I their big accident happened in Detroit, where I'm from, uh, where two of the members were killed mm. when they fell off the, the high wire, uh, my video is, is devoted to those two. But those, the, the Walendas are uh, incredible, incredible performers, artists. I mean, it's it's watching them is just 
Oh, it's it's just it's nerve shattering to watch these now. Now they make them wear safety uh, because because so many of them have died. You know, at least four of them have died from falls, including the patriarch, Carl Willand, who famously you could see it on YouTube uh, was was, you know, in San Juan. This little old man, he's like 75 or something and doing the teeter teeter and boom. And it's all on. It was all recorded and it's all on YouTube. It's so sad. Uh, but but. That's that's the life of an acrobat. They and when they were or an artist like that, when they did the thing in Detroit, two of the members died. One of them was paralyzed, and the other girl had severe head injuries. And they went on the next day. The rest of the family did. It's just wow. It's, the show must the go on, I guess, huh? Yeah. So uh, as, uh, as fa- I love the Woodlanders, and then there's the we you know we did a, I did a thing on Grady Styles, who was the Lobster Boy, who uh, you know he was born with that condition where. Ethan, Ethan, what's his face in American Horror Story when they did Freak Show did a thing where he had the, the hands that were like pinchers. I could think of, there's a word for that. I forget what it is. But uh, anyway, he he was a miserable human being, Grady Styles. And well, we're going to talk about that. We talked about doing the free, the Freak Show stuff uh, in a future yeah. episode. So, but he he was but involved was, in a murder, correct? Right. Well, yeah, he was involved <laughs> in a murder, and then they they couldn't he, they convicted him, but they couldn't put him anywhere because they couldn't. They know what to do with them. You know, he's a man with right. two arms and two legs, but pinchers on both. So they, yeah. they sent the house arrest and, and he ended up being murdered. Uh, he was a hateful, wow. hateful man. And, um, and uh, yeah. yeah. We should do a but Freaks was, episode for sure, yeah. For, yeah, I, I learned a lot of stuff when I was in Gibsonton where, where that was their sort of summer or off-season home. And uh, and we mentioned you know a little while back on the on the other podcast talking about we stopped at the Jay Mansfield crash location and we stopped at the Alamo and we did the Big Bopper's grave and I, we did we did some really interesting things because Jordan did a couple of things he wanted to do I I did the things I wanted to do the most mostly the James Dean stuff in Marfa Texas where they filmed Giant so it's just a really fun trip and and you know you're always taking a risk when you're traveling with somebody because you you know it's like. How's this going to go? It could go after an hour. You <laughs> you know if it's going to go, you know, belly up or anything. We ended up getting, It was great. It was great fun. So um, we had fun. And you went to the Mansfield uh, Jane Mansfield crash site outside New Orleans. Did uh, right. You had been. Had you been there before though? Right. Yeah, I've been there. Uh, yeah, we we were. Uh, we spent New Year's Eve. We rang in the New Year like three years ago at the car at the crash site. And, oh wow. Uh, and uh yeah it is uh it's really it's really quite emotional for me to be there and it sounds so dramatic but you know so much of our life since we have the car uh that she was killed in evolves her you know now we're sort Mm -hmm. of a reference point and people are always sending me jane mansfield stuff and i read more about her and so when you're there all of a sudden you're in in the dark you know it's about midnight around the time the accident happened and we're uh, we're standing there, and it's really it's overwhelming, you know, because it's such a right. like I say a huge part of our, of our lives, Troy and I, and of dearly departed. So um, so it was something. And I just interviewed. You know who I interviewed was uh, the woman who was the fiance of the driver, Ronnie Harrison. Oh, wow. and, he was uh, a young man and, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were engaged, and actually, she was pregnant when the accident happened, and none of her family knew that. And uh, it's a, she had a really interesting story. And you know, it's a bit of trivia. Her son is the kid 
and you probably know this, a lot of other people probably wouldn't, who redid Raiders of the Lost Ark shot by shot by shot. Do you remember that story? Yeah, uh, I, well, like a, I didn't realize that there was a relation. No, I had no idea. But I've seen the documentary that they made about that. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like the so greatest fan son. film ever made or something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, well, they, they, this, I mean, they, over a period of like five summers, these kids remade like mm-hmm. well. I mean, they did it well. <laughs> and uh, shot right. by, In fact, Spielberg saw it and like had them in for a meeting or something, I think. So <laughs> uh, it's pretty interesting. So, yeah, she's got some wild really wild stories so uh that'll be an interesting thing to hear one day that's interesting too because spielberg uh you know that's when he he made movies like that when he was a kid that's how he got into it he had a a camera Mm. and he was a teenager he started or even maybe even before he started making war movies and stuff with his little friends and that's that was so i you can see how he has a soft spot probably for other people that kind of do that the fan films and stuff like that yeah but it was done well you know you keep Mm -hmm. waiting when's the big ball gonna happen it's gonna look really dumb and it was like they did a really good job right (laughs) and they blew up uh they blew up the plane or you know they did like the plane explosion scene while he's running away that was like one of the last things they shot because they uh, never had the budget to do it to do a big explosion i think that yeah they finished it like when they were in their 20s or something they did that shot to complete the whole thing but um (laughs) that's it was really clever really really an odd cool idea I saw you posted this, uh, the Full House creator, Jeff Franklin, uh, who, you know, created the Full House series, television series, and is a big TV producer. You know, he owns the Cielo Drive location now, the address, uh, the, the plot of land where the Tate murders happened, and built a huge mega mansion on the property now. It seems to take up the entire property, is this giant house. And he's just listed it. You can now rent the house for a, a steal at a quarter of a million dollars a month. And there you are. <laughs> you know, when, when Sharon and Roman moved in, it was 1200 a month, I think. <laughs> but, uh, it was a different <laughs> right. house. But, yeah. I mean, it's a complicated house because it was, well, Altabelli, who owned the house and was renting it to Sharon and Roman, lived in the house for a good 20 years. He started renting it out to people. The last person was Trent Reznor. He moved out sold it to a, a brothers, Weintraub brothers. And the Weintraub brothers were going to make a fortune. And they tore down the house and they left one wall. There's still a kitchen wall up there and a tree from the original house. But they were going to make a fortune and build this house. It was called Villa Bella. And then uh. he bought it. Uh, Franklin spent another probably three years finishing it off. And mm-hmm. it's just this behemoth on the hill. It's this massive 17,000-square-foot house. The Tate house was, you know, it wasn't small either, but it wasn't, it was modest, certainly by right. those standards. And it's interesting because the house that's being built above his is even more insane. And they've been building that for <laughs> at least five years, and they haven't even started. They're just building the foundation for five years. So the house that's, I think part of the reason Jeff Franklin is leaving that house and renting it out is because there's a ridiculous house being built above his. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a real, it's something, it's something, man. That, that's, that, that is when people just don't tell you to stop. They, there's nobody going, no, we're not going to let that happen. <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> there's that, uh, right. now, well, they did do that, didn't they? In Bel Air really recently, that guy built that house. Yeah, and, and he, um, they kept telling him, you can't do it, you can't do it, and he kept going forward, yeah. and finally they put their foot down. And they made him tear it down. 
I think they're bigger <laughs> maker than tear it down. Yeah, it's which gotta go. Almost ne- seems like that almost never actually happens. The developers have so mm-hmm. much have so much more power, and eventually they went just out, throw a know? little bit more money at them. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, look at look at what happened at Target in the middle of Hollywood. You know, they're but they started building the Target store because somebody kind of fast forwarded it through the city and it got approved, and it ended up being like seventy feet taller than they were allowed to. And that Target stood there for probably what. Almost like eight years or something it, unfinished. It felt like over a decade. And, yeah, uh, yeah. That but then they finished it, and it's open now, and it's operating. So it's, it's like, like I said, eventually they, they figure it out. <laughs> it just yeah, yeah. rarely does they do they get caught out on those things. Yep. Uh, in other current events, uh, Lady Gaga's dogs. She got her dogs back from that shooting that happened over uh, happened on the street where Chibo is on uh, Sunset, very right where um, yeah. uh, right where the florist used to be. As well, the um, yeah, uh, uh, the name Parisian, of it, uh, yeah. yeah, Parisian florist, Parisian. which sent the which sent the roses for, uh, to Marilyn's grave for Joe DiMaggio. Uh, they, they it's on that kind of that same yeah. block, basically, just north of there. Uh, there was a shooting a few weeks ago, and uh, th- two of Lady Gaga's three Frenchies, French bulldogs, were stolen, and her dog walker was shot. Luckily, he survived. And uh, it, it supposedly now now they've arrested five people, including the woman who turned them in, uh, to try to get yeah. the half million reward money that she was offering. And uh, they, um, I'm Gaga. I think the police told Lady Gaga like, hold off on paying that reward because we this is like fishy. And then it turned out I think the woman that turned them in is the girlfriend of the father of one of the guys that is now accused of being so they tried to find somebody removed from them enough that maybe wouldn't come back to them i guess to hey let's try to get the reward money which is just brazen you know like they probably wouldn't have got caught if they just turned them loose or dropped them off at a pound somewhere or something they probably maybe they would have got away with it but yeah you know, or it's like they tried to like get they that money originally intended to do uh, yeah. yeah just sell it to sure. another rich person but no, yep. they got greedy, and, and you know, and it was interesting because what she got a lot of, she got a bit of flack. She did uh, Gaga. I hate saying that name, um, <laughs> but she got some flack because when the dogs got stolen, and you know, her dog walkers, and you know, got shot in the lung, fighting and for his life, and screaming and stuff. <laughs> And then she writes, she tweets, and she goes, I am just heartbroken and devastated with a picture of her dogs. It's like, right. okay. <laughs> you know, she got a bit of flack for that. And she, I, I, you know, she was caught up in the drama. All of, like, social media was doing the same thing, though. It was like, oh, her dog walker got shot and the dogs have been yeah. taken. Everybody's like, oh, my God, are their dogs okay? It's like, there's a human being and that, if fighting you, for his life. Did you like, watch that video? I care about the dogs as well. <laughs> yeah. What? No, the poor guy was just screaming. And he was, a, I guess he knew... Yeah. Uh, he was a, he was a, he, he was an, e, I don't know if he was an EMT or something like that, but he knew that his lungs were filling with blood and he was screaming, you know, it, uh, um, yeah, it was crazy, wild. So I hope she takes care of him. I'm sure. <laughs> you know? I mean, he's already he probably pretty well taken care of anyways, but yeah. Yeah. Um, he, um, he, uh, uh, and, and after he was shot, the, the one dog that got away that wasn't stolen came back and I guess laid next to him when, while they waited for. Uh, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, so um, that's nice. And waited for him uh, while he was while they're waiting for the paramedics to get there. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this. They're doing a Fantasy Island reboot. I did hear that. Yeah, I got really really disinterested rather quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then although I liked we... the last movie they did, I thought the movie was fun that they did recently. Mm-hmm. 
No, maybe this will be fun too, Scott. Who knows? Yeah, I know. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Uh, and then I, I was just going to show this off. I showed this off on our Patreon, uh, but in honor of uh, Michael Collins, one of the Apollo 11 astronauts pa- passing away, I have to show this off to everybody. Uh, my grandfather, my grandfather was an Apollo 11 in, or Apollo engineer, and uh, this is his Apollo hard hat that he so cool. that he had. And if you watch any of the old documentary footage of the launches, you see guys walking around with these blue hats on. Uh, it says CSM on the side, which I believe um, would have stood for the the command services module, which is what they kind of lived in. It was like their life support module. CSM on the sides, his name on the front, and, and Apollo CSM on the back. And then it has some of the mission stickers. Uh, there's uh, Apollo 7, Apollo 13. I think that's Apollo 12. Um, and my guess is he put Apollo 11 at the top, but these have long since, some of them have, have fallen off over the years that he owned it. So I don't wow. have it anymore. But, yeah, there it is. It's an actual Apollo uh, mission uh, hard hat that was his. That's guess whenever they were anywhere with, for you. Where, whenever anything was being worked on or whatever down at the place, he had to wear this around. So. That is so cool. That is so cool. All right. Uh, is that is that it for current events? I think so. Anything? <laughs> current events I care to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the stuff that matters to us. Um, uh, we do have one little, one tiny piece of hate mail that's only one word long. Hate mail. It's uh, we had a one star iTunes review and the review just said cringe, which I take okay. as a compliment. <laughs> I wonder what made cringe. them write that. I don't know. Maybe in order to I write the, be more the rating. Yeah. What, what was cringy? I don't know. At least they left a review. <laughs> I mean, a five star review could just as easily say cringe. Also, it just depends on what you're into. True. You know? True. What you consider entertaining, but eh, that's that's not bad hate mail, though a cringe. No, there's a lot. Of, you know, I sort of it's I've got so used to the nasty people uh, that I'm sort of. <laughs> I, so, you know, I mean, I you know I don't see the Patreon. I don't see the uh, the the Apple things. I should be more aware of what's going on with the reviews on 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 Apple. Mostly very iTunes. positive though. We have we have like a five star yeah. average rating, and most of it nice. they love us and want us to do more shows and all that stuff. So yeah, cool. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's some people just have nothing better to do but just go. Eh. <laughs> you know, Hated a, it. Dump. <laughs> Uh, and, and last but not least, before we get into uh, our main story, uh, you have something about uh, Marilyn Monroe, I believe, in a statue, correct? <laughs> 26 feet of Norma Jean. <laughs> and, um, that, it's, a, it's like a big, everyone's all in a, in a huff about it right now, literally has their panties in a bunch about <laughs> Marilyn's panties, because uh, they're bringing the statue back. You know, the 26-foot-tall Marilyn iconic statue, seven-year-age pose, was here for a few years. They rented it, whoever it was, and now the city put together enough money or the Businessmen's Association to uh, have it permanently on display here. So the um, the uh, Palm Springs Art Museum uh, has been designated as the place to put it. And everyone that works at the museum or has something to do with the museum or everyone is me tooing it to hell because, uh, because it's showing his lady with her panties up and they say that everyone's going to walk out of the museum 
looking at this woman's panties and it's misogynistic <laughs> and it's like it's Marilyn, it's Marilyn, you're in Palm Springs, you know. Now I'm not necessarily not on board with them not having it there. I think it's a great opportunity to open up another space for it to be a focal point for tourists, you know, put it yeah. on the other side of town where there's some empty area. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily want her to be there, but it's just, it's funny when you see the real things that are going on in the world, the real protests that are going on in the world. And these people are just screaming about this Maryland statue in Palm Springs. And it's and the, the famous scene. Is, and it's know. the famous scene from the seven year itch where she's standing over the subway grate and it's blowing her dress up yeah. and she's, fighting to keep it down it's the statues of that moment so that's why yeah. some people have taken issue with the content uh of it and the fact that you can basically walk under the statue and i guess look up the dress but it's a statue i don't i don't know uh, it's just yeah it's just a location if it wasn't where they chose to put it uh um, yeah you know we wouldn't be having this problem but it's 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 just the the stances that people are taking are, are you know they're they're interesting i'll just say that but she was supposed to be already uh, unveiled, but they, I don't know. It's still, there's a lawsuit pending. I don't know. It was supposed to be done a few weeks ago, but it's not. Yeah. So, um, it's fascinating. Palm Springs life. These are not normal people problems. (laughs) 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 And here we are. All right. So the main event is star Wars. It's time for the main feature. Uh, and we are recording. We are recording this on May the fourth, which is now commonly known as Star Wars Day. May the fourth be with you. And so uh, you won't be watching this on May fourth, but this is when we're recording it. So it's in the spirit of May fourth. And we always we already wanted to do a Star Wars episode, anyways. So we figured, why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's a great. I, I was a huge Star Wars fan when it came out. I saw the movie probably ten times, which was a lot at that point. Uh, in 77 when it came out and I had I had the sheets I had the posters from Burger uh-huh. King I had the the cups I had uh you know every you know disc the disco Star Wars album you know the I mean it was I you know I was just I was a Star Wars nut I I love the R2D2 cookie jar and I had a see-through a C3PO necklace and I was big into it but I wasn't it wasn't for the sci-fi aspect of it I, I you know I understand the sci-fi aspect of it and, and that's cool but I was I loved it as a story it was just an awesome yeah. story uh I was confused when they called it what episode 5 I think is what it was when it first was it 6 episode or 4 episode 4 episode 4 a new hope is like the, now the official name yeah. of it yeah. Right. Nobody knew that it was going to be a big hit. However, when it was released, there were people lined up around the block like for days ahead of time at the Chinese theater. And that's something I never right. really quite understood. Um, I, I read a lot of – I'm not finished with it yet, but I read a lot of The Making of Star Wars, which is uh, subtitled The Definitive Story Behind the Original Film, exhaustive book. And I have the, the digital copy of it. Um, which includes multimedia stuff. It includes interview clips with George Lucas and uh, videos and stuff and tons of photos that you can zoom in on because they're high quality. And, it, it, I mean, it is everything you want ever would want to know pretty much about Star Wars. And uh, it's funny because George Lucas, yeah, he didn't think they were going to – original budget was going to be $3 million, which in today's mm-hmm. money would be like $18 million. So even today it would be considered a low-budget film. Uh, it ended up blowing up, blow, ballooning to you know t- uh, two or three times that amount um, by the time it was done. But he, he didn't think it would make more than 16 to $20 million. 
so even with him, there's kind of a contradiction in that he didn't think it was going to make that much, and yet he was planning this whole universe. That he he also yeah. felt this wouldn't be the last one that they were going to make, and that's why he wanted to have all the ancillary rights, the the you know the mer- a big stake in the merchandising and all that stuff because he felt like this was going to go somewhere. And he made the movie because um, American Graffiti was a surprise hit. Uh, another movie kind of like Star Wars where the studio didn't really believe in it until it came out and was a smash and people loved yeah. it. And George Lucas realized that at that time period in the late seventies, they really weren't making movies for young, young people and kids anymore. They were not that 12 to 20 year old age demo, which used to be who all the movies were made for practically weren't getting anything because Westerns were out of fashion, you know, swashbuckling movies were out of fashion. Sci-fi was kind of goofy and and so there were, it was just serious like serious dramas and cop content police content was basically yeah. all people were doing and he was like wow there's a huge opportunity here and he was totally right uh, yeah i guess fox out. had thought they put their money behind uh, the other side of midnight and they thought that was <laughs> going to be the huge hit of that summer and ended up you know no <laughs> no <laughs> i mean it opened it didn't open on like 100 screens or something and then within uh, you know, a month it was a, it was seventeen hundred screens. It was something, uh, mm. you know, an insane growth. Uh, they must have been making prints, you know, like crazy overtime making prints of that movie uh, to yeah. get it out there. But uh, but man, the hype, the hoopla, that was such a big deal. Have you ever heard this? Um, somebody made an audio recording of the audience watching star wars in the initial in its original run back back in 77 i, I did it's a that. really great thing oh really well somebody else somebody <laughs> I did my little, I had my, sorry that's what somebody have you ever put it out there because somebody actually did that and they actually released it for the the ending scene you know when they blow up the death star uh they actually had that in there and you can hear the audience reacting and then the big cheer that goes up when it happens and it's really freaking cool it's a great like historical artifact you know an, an illegal pirated audio recording of the movie yeah. but a great ends up being a great historical document yeah, I, I snuck my cassette player in, which was, you know, at that point, probably like that. And uh, and I recorded the whole movie. I was I was a <laughs> nut for that movie. So, I, you know, I still I haven't uh, listened to it, but I mean, I have all my cassettes. I should check that out. I did that for the Rocky Horror Picture Show, too, uh, which was which is kind of fun in retrospect, you know, because he just can't encapsulates the, the moment. But Star Wars, that was wow. That was bananas. That was such a insane, fun movie. And uh, it's it's fascinating to watch like the clips without the sound effects and the green screen mm. and stuff like that. And the and, uh, the, and, and before it. it was color graded and everything, it just looks really yeah. rough. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Um, and then, and to... it, it's, it just they were winging it. They were. I mean, some of it was just. Well, they say that uh, um, Alec Guinness was like they're giving him lines like the day of. I think you know right. they were like modifying this... his script like every day. <laughs> And the dialogue is ridiculous to begin with. Uh, and that was kind of funny going through the, the drafts project, the, the process of writing the script, all the various drafts that George Lucas wrote. And he keeps sending it in and nobody understands what it, what the story is. It sounds cool. Yeah. But like every actor that auditioned was like, yeah, I had to read the script like eight times before I realized, before I like figured out how it all went, what, what, what the hell he was trying to say. And George Lucas was brilliant because what he did, he realized this and he ended up putting up 
uh, close to half a million dollars of his own money during the development period of Star Wars when he was writing the script. He had no guarantee yet that they were actually going to make it. He was just getting paid a little bit of money to write it. Uh, they, were, they didn't know it was going to get greenlit yet, but he was making all this money from American Graffiti, and he just started putting his own money into hiring mainly this guy named Ralph McQuarrie, who did all the concept art and did all the designs because Lucas realized you can't really make sense of the script so let me give them visual aids the studio execs and actors and whoever to show them here's what the characters are going to look like here's what the spaceships are going to look like when we talk about the Death Star here's what the Death Star we think is going to look like and that helped bring it to life for people even if they understand what was written they understood picture, the mm-hmm. pictures and could see oh okay I see what you mean and what you're trying to do mm-hmm. and that really probably may, maybe Star Wars would have never been made very likely had George Lucas not uh, self-funded, basically the founding of ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, and the uh, and the model building. He hired model builders and Ralph McQuarrie um, to do the artwork. Uh, if he had not taken that risk with his own money, it might not have ever gotten green light, greenlit as a result. Yeah. And the scripts are, I mean, the, the acting, in, well, he was basically making a Western in space. I mean, that's what it was. It was just, it was cowboys and, and Indians sort of thing. And, uh, mm-hmm. You know, bad guys, good guys, ultimately, and the princess, and you know, the fairy, whatever. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it was sort of, uh, yeah, Western in space, honestly. So he was taking a proven uh, uh, formula and just putting right. it out there. But the special I effects mean, were outstanding. With nobody was doing that. Nobody. Yeah, he hired some people that had worked on um, 2001: Space Odyssey because that was the gold standard. Even you know, almost a decade later, when they made Star Wars, that was still the one that everybody was trying to emulate. So he brought some of those people in, and they basically had to build a lot of their own equipment, or at least modify equipment for the motion capture, because um, mm-hmm. the shots that he wanted to do, he didn't want. It used to be that when you did a, uh, an effect shot, the camera would be locked off because you couldn't have the camera moving around. Because then, if you try to put two images together, it looks wrong. So, and and then he he felt that that sent a a visual cue to the audience that oh, this part is not real because we're about to do a special effect. He felt like it took audiences out of it. So he wanted to be able to do effect shots where the camera's moving. So they had to, so they created, um, they already kind of had it, but it's motion, motion control camera where they could duplicate the same camera move ex- precisely over and over again so that they would all match up when they put all these models together. Because you could have four or five different shots in one shot basically compiled together. And the camera had to be moved exactly the same way every time. But he wanted that so the audience would never get taken out of it. It would still have the almost handheld-like quality to it that all the other scenes had. And I think that's one of the big reasons that it worked as well as it did and didn't look as kind of hokey as a lot of other um, sci-fi movies pre- before it yeah. looked, you know? Yeah. And after, be honest. <laughs> and when they were on that, that vehicle, that floating vehicle, there was a term for that. It's the, it was the, uh, the, land, the land speeder is what it was called. It was called the land okay. speeder. Okay, but it was really, in the movie, I even remember seeing it in 77, thinking, you know, it looks a little, when you look underneath it, it was a bit, you know, it's supposed to be floating. And you could yeah. tell it was a bit, a bit. And it's then bouncing he went back like it's and, on wheels, yeah. And it had a, they did the effect by just using mirrors. Yeah. To cover the wheels up, and it looks like it's floating. And I looked this up. It was one thing I, I caught. I, I got to go back to Ralph McQuarrie for a second. Uh, he passed away in uh, March 3rd, 2012. He worked, he was famous for Star Wars trilogy, of course. He also worked on the original Battlestar Galactica series. Uh, he worked on E.T., Cocoon, 
Uh, he was a groundbreaking conceptual. His, his artwork is just beautiful. And I saw a piece of little ephemera, uh, this uh, envelope that was sent in with some of his conceptual drawings had his address on it at the time. And he lived at the corner of Curson and San Vicente in Los Angeles. And uh, it was oh, like an apartment building there. I think it was seven, huh. I think it was 1071 South Curson Avenue. And so wow. and that's there's still a building there today. So depending on what unit you have, you very well may live in the apartment where Ralph McQuarrie drew by most, most of the concept art for star Wars. I hope that he, um, I hope that Lucas gave him points, you know, from the gross of the movie. Uh, I really yeah. do. Because I know he gave he gave that to uh, Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness and, got 2%, um, yeah. Yeah. And I always heard that Carrie and Harrison and Mark got a percentage too, but nobody's ever come out and said that. They've been bitter about merchandise, but they've never – They've kind of kept their mouths shut about the other stuff. I think they got points. I don't think they – you know, it was a go-nowhere movie. Nobody knew what was going to happen. It was just – Yeah, I think a lot of them – I know I know. I did come across um, when I was reading up on um, David Prowse, who was the, the man in the Darth Vader suit who did the actual physical acting on screen yeah. for most of it. He um, was supposed to get residuals off Return of the Jedi – that he claims he never got. So I suspect that maybe they didn't get it off the first movie, but when it was a hit and, you know, they came in to negotiate for their next roles, they probably were like, okay, we want a back end piece of this. So, but uh, now Prowse, I remember his thing, the guy that was Vader, he was supposed to get, I don't think it was going to be points. He said it, but he was also banned from star Wars conventions for years because he burned bridges. They said with Lucasfilm, but uh, he, he said that originally when they took off Darth Vader's mask, it was supposed to be his voice. And then they changed it to to another actor. And so he claimed to have gotten screwed over by Lucasfilm and Lucasfilm just got tired of him. There's multiple. So first in the first movie, while they're filming, he gets replaced by a stuntman for a lot of the fi- sword fighting scenes, a lot of the uh, lightsaber mm-hmm. scenes, because he kept breaking the props, and he just he wasn't he just wasn't trained up enough at sword fighting. So the choreographer for the movie was a stand-in for him to do that those fight scenes. So first day, I think he was a little rubbed wrong about that he didn't get to do those. He tried to get him to let him do them later in Return of the Jedi. They wouldn't let him. He wanted to do the, he wanted to be the one to throw the Emperor. You know, at the end of Return of the Jedi, uh, because the guy, the, the stuntman was having trouble getting it right, and I think they still wouldn't let him. So he was butthurt about that. Then there's some debate about whether or not he knew that they were going to replace his voice with James Earl Jones or not. And I think he has no problem with the fact that James Earl Jones did the voice. I think he just didn't. He thought it was going to be his when they recorded the film, and then Lucas changed his mind in post about. Yeah. Because he sounded, what Carrie Fisher called him like uh, Darth. Darth Farmer or something like that. They made some kind of joke because he, he had was, a, uh, what's called a West Country accent, which I don't know what that sounds like. It's Bristol, but I mean it's funny in England too. The guy down the street has a different accent. It's, they have so many different right. accents there. But he was <laughs> right. from Bristol. But uh, but yeah, she she. It was just not becoming Darth a, Farmer. Yeah, <laughs> who you thought? Darth. But you know, I have a friend who was who was one of the stand-ins for Vader and for Chewbacca in the first in the first three films actually. And oh, his really? name was uh, St- Stephen Calcutt, and he was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He was the tall, skinny Transylvanian with the long hair in the Rocky Horror Picture huh. Show. And when I interviewed him for that, you know, we're, I was listening to that interview again this week for this for this podcast, and we talked for an hour about Rocky Horror and about different commercials that he was in and this and that. And he goes, and I did Star Wars, but I don't talk about that because no one, you know, no one really. <laughs> 
thinks about that. And this was in the <laughs> mid-90s when I interviewed him. And now, you go to his page on Facebook. I mean, he is famous, like huge, in the Star Wars world. He does all the conventions. Sure. Uh, because he was the stand-ins for both Chewbacca and for uh, Darth Vader during the original film. And uh, <laughs> or the original three films. And coincidentally, David Prowse was originally offered Chewbacca. Yeah. And they kind of gave him yeah. the choice of the two because he's six foot six, a bodybuilder. He could have, you know, played Chewbacca probably uh, if he'd really wanted to. And he wanted to be Vader because he wanted to be the bad guy. He thought every, everybody remembers the villain is what yeah. he says. So now I'm going to go. I'm going to I'm going to say something that may be controversial. I don't think so, but they were in costumes and they weren't using their voices. Right. You know, Peter Mayhew and David Prowse and Kenny Baker, they were in costumes. They didn't use their voices. Right. And there was something like, you know, when, when, uh, when, uh, 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 the other guy that I just, Peter Mayhew died, like, oh, are they going to make the other episode of Star Wars without him? It's like, well, they already it's did. It's a costume. <laughs> they already you were. Know? I mean, yeah, it's a costume. And I know, right. I mean, I'm not trying to dismiss, there isn't a movement acting, most of course, definitely. Yeah. But, uh, but, but it's a costume. One of the yeah. reasons that um, that uh, Daniels was cast as uh, as C-3PO was because he had a lot of experience miming, apparently. So since mm-hmm. he doesn't have a mouth that can move, it's all action, it's all movement and action. Plus he has to be a robot. Um, but yeah. David Prow- but David Prowse, the final kind of injustice to him was in Return of the Jedi when they pulled the mask off. Here's his finally his chance for you to see his face, and instead it's an actor <laughs> named Sebastian Shaw. Like he just got like yeah. every step of the way. I think he felt like he was screwed over. And then there was the money issue with the residuals that he claimed about Return of the Jedi. And um, but it, it, like you said, he was in. He ended up getting banned from Star Wars events uh, in 2010 because he just they couldn't trust him to not say stupid, you know, controversial yeah. things. I guess, you know. Yeah. And, and, and as uh, George like, said, he burned too many bridges. He was now. He was also. Uh, we'll talk more about about the films, but he was in a lot of Hammer films, the Hammer horror movies, mm-hmm. which were also filmed uh, at Bray Studios, which were. Rocky Horror related. There's a, there's a few Rocky Horror references in both right. of these, uh, uh, both of the movies, because Bray Studios was across from Oakley Court, the big mansion that was used in Rocky Horror, and also used in some of the some of the uh, uh, the Hammer Horror films, The House mm-hmm. of Dracula, Christopher Lee ones, and uh, so there were sort of like the the British classic Universal horror films uh, from Britain <laughs> in the seventies, and uh, but he was in a couple of those with Peter Cushing, who was Grandma Tarkin. Uh, and uh, David Prowse is the most recent uh, cast member to pass away. He passed away on November 28th of 2020, so just a few months ago. Uh, and his sister, I believe, revealed that he, it was COVID-19. I think they kind of kept that quiet at first, but then re- eventually said it was COVID. Uh, and he was 85 years old. Um, and then he talked about uh, being in horror films and stuff. Uh, Peter Cushing, or yeah, Peter Cushing, who was Grand Moff Tarkin. Uh, he was in you know Frankenstein and Dracula and the Abominable Snowman and uh, the Mummy, the ones they did back in the fifties. He was in a bunch of those movies, I guess, because he just had that look, uh, that mm-hmm. great, fa- that he had that great face with the the, the mm-hmm. cheekbones and the kind of hollowed out uh, cheeks. He just had that that facial bone structure for it, I think, to play that kind, of, play those dark characters. Um, and it sounds they, like I think that uh, George Lucas had him in mind. Number one, I think he knew mm-hmm. who he wanted. I believe at that point, uh, yeah. uh, Peter Cushing. 
And, and the, the one, the only one that I know that he really pursued from day, from pretty much day one, just about is Guinness. He wanted Guinness to play Obi Wan, uh, or somebody. You know, like the, the Obi Wan character kept switching and was for a time it was a, it was a more of a general character and then you know a general yeah. in, in the military and then it became Obi Wan and whatever. But he wanted he he really pursued Sir Alec Guinness, whereas um, Princess Leia and Han Solo and Luke were all kind of up in the air up until just a few months before they started shooting, or even weeks. Uh, but he really wanted. Guinness. Well, see, and, and Cushing claims claimed that he was offered Obi Wan first. Uh, oh, that's, that's interesting. What, that's yeah, that's what he that's what he said. He says he was also huh. approached by John Carpenter to play the Doctor Loomis in the first Halloween movie in seventy seven. Wow, which which would have been you know all right. That would have been okay. Did um <laughs> did you see did you see the Rogue One Star Wars movie? Rogue One probably. I don't it's know. fantastic. It's so freaking good. I think it's the best one of the new films that they've made is Rogue One. Um, and it's uh, – but they – it's all about the, the – it's like a little prequel to the first Star Wars. It's all about how they got the plans for the Death Star. That's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. brought back – they since Peter Cushing passed away on August 11th, 1994 uh, from – he had had cancer for many years. He was 81. Um, he had been dead for decades by the time they made Rogue One, and they needed his character back, so they they brought him back with CGI as, and they brought back Carrie Fisher as a young Princess Leia as well, uh, for the kind of the final shot in the movie. So, uh, and there was a lot of um, controversy over whether it's ethical or not. This is one of the big conversations going on in uh, filmmaking right now. Is, is it ethical to do CGI, rec- really lifelike close-up CGI shots of actors that are dead, and basically have them do a performance that they didn't do and they didn't sign off on essentially right that they didn't agree to yeah uh i, I thought it was great i, I thought i think it's awesome it, well, it's sentimentally, you know? it, it is uh, sentimentally yeah you want to see him again but you're right i had that problem with when natalie cole did the duets with her father you know yeah. he wasn't approached he wasn't asked and he they're right. they're they're kind of what um when they uh, somebody described george georgia who was the producer for the for the Beatles. Martin, George but anyway, Martin. he, George Martin. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, when they were doing the song, the soundtrack for love, the, the Vegas show, and it was, mm-hmm. they putting together sort of mashups of all the Beatles songs. He was, he said it was like putting a mustache on the Mona Lisa. And that's sort of <laughs> an interesting way to put it. You know, yeah. when you're, when you're, when you're taking a piece that's so a lot of people would call perfect and manipulating it and they call it deep fake. I guess that's what they were. It was sort Essentially of a trendy what it video. Is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did, they, somebody said that the James Dean estate had sold, uh, or off, you know, settled on a, on a, on an agreement to do a movie with James Dean, not, it, it just like fabricated James Dean. It's, um, uh, I don't know. yeah, ethically I do, I do think it's, it's dodgy. I think it's really dodgy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's like a weird kind of cloning and, uh, and I don't know, I don't know if I'm into <laughs> that. You're right. It kind of is. But like they, that. They, yeah. they, they, they got a fortune for it, though. No doubt about it. Peter Cushing's family. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they got a fortune. They have him see. They most likely that. did have because there's um, there's a, a it's kind of a state by state law in the U.S. Uh, how life rights work after someone passes away. Um, I think a lot of times it's the 70 year rule that exists kind of with copyright in gen- law in general. Mm-hmm. But in New York, I think it doesn't exist. And, and coincidentally, in Tennessee, it is forever you have to go and get the permission. And that is because of Elvis and the Elvis estate. They got that passed in Tennessee so that you have to go through 
the Elvis estate to do anything with his. So is that like because of those hologram shows they were doing or something? You think? I don't know what the timing of when that law got passed in Tennessee. I just know it has something to do with with Elvis and his estate. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, they probably almost def- I would say almost definitely had to go to Cushing's estate and give his okay. And the same thing with yeah. Carrie Fisher. But Fisher had been in so many of these movies, they might have already been worked into her contract. That you know something happens. Oh yeah, you, you yeah. Know what her, I mean, her image. Yeah. <laughs> um. You ever watch BoJack Horseman? Oh God, it's I think so. I have. Good. It's so. I love it so much. I love that show so much. But I think I believe there was a plot line with him where they um, he gets replaced on a show he's on by his own a CGI version of himself, <laughs> and then finds out that in his contract he signed that away so they can replace him with a fake version of him. <laughs> On the series. Wow. <laughs> I wonder I wonder why um I wonder why we haven't seen deep fake porn. You know? Yeah. Like like people like you know, Farrah Fawcett or James Dean or I mean it's uh, one of the know? things that a lot of actresses especially are concerned about, obviously with you know, with, with their image being used like in that way, obviously. There's already, you know, fake uh, uh, you know, naked shots of that they say are of celebrities that are that are just yeah. lookalikes. They already use lookalikes yeah. and stuff. But yeah, yeah. it is. It's been a hot topic for a, a long time. I mean, you could do. You, know, you could. You, they have those filters on on on. You know, you could do it on your phone now. Put yourself in Smokey and the Bandit or something. Yeah. And uh, so I would imagine that exists. Yeah. But it's. I've seen parody porn. I saw the Star. <laughs> there's a couple of Star Wars parody porn you know which are which are quite good as far as special effects and <laughs> and their costumes they did a good job with it but uh, uh probably not going to get endorsed by george lucas though like spielberg did with the raiders <laughs> they, of the lost ark <laughs> they they do i don't know there's some sort of free freedom of you know parody they can get away with it i'm not quite That's sure right. the logistics of all that but uh my guess is is that it is still so technologically difficult to really pull off a good deep fake for an extended scene that the resources it would take to create it, it would take a company to get behind that, and a company knows they're going to probably get sued by whoever it is that they're faking. So my guess is, right, they just don't want to. They don't want to touch it. But no, it pun, no pun no pun intended. But the technology <laughs> it absolutely. Is um, who do you want to talk about next? We talk about Peter. Well, we can talk about Peter Mayhew if you want. Yeah, uh, sure. Who was Chewbacca? Yep. Who and was he was a, Chewie in five. A, he was Chewie in five Star Wars films, the original trilogy, the the third of the prequels, the the last film of the prequels trilogy, and then the first of the new trilogy. He was in all of those, and and then and then mm-hmm. when the new trilogy came along, he was in the first one, but he was already kind of starting to pass the torch on to the actor that was going to replace him. And there's some nice behind the scenes stuff of them, you know, getting to know each other and the new actor being, you know, very respectful of the role he's taking over and learning, learning Mayhew's movements and stuff so that it's believable. And I, I don't know. I think he's done a great job. It's a costume. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, I, I don't, I know I'm, I, you know, I, I just say they're saying that, you know, Mayhew was a big guy, seven foot tall or something like that. Seven. He was seven foot three. Seven foot three. And he wasn't, but he wasn't, although he wrote two song, two books, Growing Up Giant and My Favorite Giant, but he wasn't a giant. He didn't have nope. giantism. Right. But uh, he was just a really tall guy. And he said they yeah. say he did all his research by going to the zoo and learning, you know, watching the animals. I mean, I'm, maybe he did. I'm sure. And he probably had to audition, you know, the movement. I, I, I'm not I'm not belittling him at all. Sure. But 
I, you know, passing the torch to another guy in a costume, no lines, you know, none of those noises came out of him. He was just a guy in a costume. Again, it sounds like I'm being shitty. I don't mean it that way. I'm just saying, right. I could have done it. I probably could have done it with a bit of, with a bit of help, you know, and uh, about another foot on me. Uh, tall white. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, they, uh, uh, he was seven foot three as a result of a genetic disorder called Marfan syndrome or Marfan or Marfan syndrome. So he, as he said, he wasn't, it wasn't gigantism or giantism or whatever the term is that, that you just said. He, he said it wasn't that because he didn't have, he said he didn't have the big head that typically came mm-hmm. with that. He had a normal sized person's head. He was just, that people that have Marfan syndrome tend to be very tall and skinny and have kind of lanky, gangly arms and legs. So, um, but he was working as a hospital orderly when, yeah. he was, when he was cast as Chewbacca and, you know, had his whole life changed. I just had a memory that just came back and maybe I told this story before and I probably, this is really a gross story. Well, is it, it about Mayhew? Peter Mayhew. Yeah, well, we talked. We he he passed. He has passed away since we started doing this series. So we did mention. Okay, that must have told him. But I don't know if you've told it yet. But tell it again because I don't remember. It's a it's such a gross story. It's okay. such a gross story. Maybe, but not it was yet. I really. No, I was really hungover. Really hungover. And my ex was doing a radio show, and it was live. Usually, they do it in the studio. This was live in front of an audience, and Peter Mayhew was one of the guests. And we were talking afterwards. And and I had to, I had to I had to pass gas, so <laughs> so I walked far away, you know, maybe twenty five feet away, and I was like, you know, minding my own business and you know doing what I had to do. And then my ex, I could tell he was pointing at me and talking to Peter Mayhew and making some kind of remark about what I'm doing. It's like all of a sudden I just freaked out, I panicked, and I went back up there to start talking to him. I it, I brought it with me. Oh no. And, um, <laughs> and we're just talking and all of a sudden it just goes really bad. <laughs> and, and people are just really uncomfortable because everyone knows <laughs> it was me. And it was just it was so It arrived when you arrived. <laughs> uh it was it was bad. It was really gross. And now in retrospect, still very uncomfortable. But I shared my <laughs> My my very personal space with Peter Mayhew, and he was angry about that, but not angry because it's British. You know, British, you're just like, mm. Mm. <laughs> we know what's going on here. But uh, <laughs> sorry, so, so you, I told the, you that story the, the, so, the Wookie, the Wookie did not win in that moment, is what you're trying to say. No, no, and he had the last line in the film. He had the very last line in the first Star Wars movie. Yeah, he rules. Yeah, he, he yeah. he's the only one who doesn't get a medal, but then he gets to growl at the end. Yeah. The last line. He was also in the. What, were you even born when this movie came out? Star Wars. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Star Wars came out a year before I was born. Empire Strikes okay. Back came out when I was two. Um, my big one. So I, I've always existed in a world that has Star Wars in it. Uh, my big film was Return of the Jedi. I freaking adored. Return of the Jedi, even to this day. I know it's not the most popular mm-hmm. of the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't like the Ewoks. I, I was like six or seven. I freaking love the Ewoks. I was an Ewok for Halloween. I'll, if you watch the video oh, version yeah. of this, if you watch the video version of this, I'll, I'll throw up the uh, the costume that my mom hand sewed from fake fur of oh. my Ewok costume. It's awesome. I was, um, I, I think the following year, I was uh, Han Solo, but it was just a, 
outfit that I picked out that I know I looked nothing like Han Solo, but that's what I told everybody I was. And I just remember my mom kept asking me, do you sure you don't want me to make you a costume? I was like, no, this will I'll just put this vest on and carry this like plastic gun around and people will know I'm Han Solo. But the, <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. But the, um, but, but the Ewok costume was one for the ages. It's the, of all the ones my mom, she was a sewer of all the ones she did. It was the best one. So uh, I have photos of it. So I'll, I'll, I'll post it. Oh yeah, definitely. That's so cool. Uh, <laughs> that's so cool. They, yeah, but, but they did but, a, um, and I'll just say one other thing. I remember uh, that came out, and then I remember we had a family reunion up in Tahoe in this big house in the in the woods. And those big trees in around Tahoe reminded me so much of, you know, indoor, uh, you know, the Ewoks and the Ewok village. And for me, it just like cemented in my mind that like that was like real, like that's all real. Like mm-hmm. I just saw Return of the Jedi, and now I'm where it looks like they filmed the Ewok stuff. Uh, it was just made yeah. like very real to me, you know. And I remember my cousins and I playing Star Wars stuff and doing Star Wars art and. Yeah, that's <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Another weird connection to Rocky Horror. Um, my friend Sadie, she was a, she was an Ewok who mm-hmm. was a little Transylvanian in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, along with Kenny Baker, who was an Ewok in some of those scenes. Uh, I didn't know that. But, uh, yeah, he played. He played. I forget which one it was, but they have names apparently. <laughs> I don't even remember. So Peter Mayhew, since we've talked about his death before, he had a bunch of health issues, um, largely related to his height. Uh, he had double knee replacement surgery in 2013. He had been in basically confined to a. Uh, a wheelchair for a couple of years leading up to that finally got his knee re- knees replaced then two years later in 2015 he got hospitalized for pneumonia in 2018 he had spinal surgery and finally uh on april 30th 2019 he had a heart attack and passed away he was 74 and heart conditions are an- another side effect of having the marfan syndrome that he had that made him tall so just as much as the little people live forever yeah. tall people just tend to not they have all and, kinds of problems uh, yep yeah um, so he is buried in Reno, Texas, which is northwest of uh, outside Fort Worth. Uh, he lived in Texas with his wife. I think his wife was Texan, and he lived in a place mm-hmm. called Boyd, Texas, for years and years and years with his mm-hmm. wife. And he is buried in the Azeland Memorial Park in Reno, Texas. Azeland, Azeland. And I looked it up, and they have a, a recreation of Christ's tomb with the rock rolled away on it's part of their cemetery. So look up Azaland <laughs> I have Memorial seen those Park. in other cemeteries. Yes, I'd never seen <laughs> it before. Are, it is quite are, a sight. <laughs> yeah. And he was, oh, don't forget, though, he was in the Star Wars Christmas special that they threw together that year. Mm, that was the infamous, uh, that was another... infamous Christmas special. And I had I had the forty five of what do you get a Wookiee for Christmas? And, um, <laughs> <laughs> I probably still do, but uh, but yeah, that's the one was, where Carrie uh, Fisher God. sings the song at the end. I think right. I think oh, I don't like remember that, her in it at song. all. Yeah. I think so. Oh my god, they were just throwing that. It was a B. Arthur in that. I mean, it was yeah, just, it was, it was so that, bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had to get. It wasn't Chris. It wasn't Christmas. It was like uh, it was like the Wookiee's uh, Life Day or Life Force Day or something like that. And the whole the the the, the plot is trying to get uh, Chewie home to his to his Wookiee family, uh, you know, in time for this special holiday. And that's basically the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, is notoriously one of the most campy uh, things ever made. And for a long time, you couldn't get it unless, you know, you passed around tapes. Uh, people had bootleg copies of it. Now, of course, because of the Internet, you can find it. It's everywhere. But uh, it's yeah. almost like they shot it and then tried to forget it ever existed uh, after yeah. after it aired. So, I mean, this became uh, – people 
I don't know if people nowadays would realize what an industry this thing became. I mean, it was everywhere. You know, there were there were there were tribute record albums and there were like dozens of them and the costumes and the, you know, the other, you know, the parodies they did of it. And the, uh, you know, it became a it, it started a whole new sci fi genre and they were throwing these right. movies out on TV shows and everything. I mean, it really changed movies and uh, and pop culture. There was so much Star Wars stuff everywhere mm -hmm. and it was you just couldn't get away from it. I mean. All that the toys they were just kicking them out. God, everything was soap and candies and you name it. It was Star Wars everything, and I had it all. I had all that Star Wars stuff. I, I still have <laughs> some of my old comic books and magazines, you know, Mad Magazine and stuff like that. Um, I just loved it, loved it, loved it. The the Star Wars toys were like what the older kids had when I was growing up because by the time I came around it mm -hmm. was GI Joe and I remember the Star Wars ones were a little more primitive because you couldn't bend the elbows and you couldn't bend the knees on the figures and on GI Joe you could um, so there was more you could do with them and uh, but I remember I, I remember Star Wars toys being prevalent it it was like if I went over to a friend's house his older brother had like a bunch of Star Wars toys that seemed to be like if I'd been born just a few years earlier I probably would have had a you know a Millennium Falcon yeah. You know, which was kind of the Millennium Falcon, I think, was like the, the ultimate, the you know, the, the Holy Grail Star Wars toy to own because um, it was so they did. It was so well designed. It was it was huge. Yeah. Yeah. I was at I went to that auction house last year when they were selling the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, uh, mm -hmm. cars and they had a whole thing on Star Wars there. And it was really something to be there and to be see one of those like. I, I believe it was that ship, the first one that comes in in the first movie that comes in and swoops up there. It's and like that seven was, feet that long. was like right there. <laughs> I mean, I could have touched it. You know, yeah. there were pieces of it that were broken off. I could tell it had been around. Uh, but it was like nobody, you know, they're just like, yeah, go have a look around. And I was like, I, I mean, it wasn't just anybody off the street. We made arrangements. But I could have just went like that and broke huge pieces off of it, you know. They, they had one of the Imperial Stormtrooper uh, uh, original from the 77 movie. They had a Darth Vader, but I don't think that was ever screen used i think it was used as a for appearances but it was true to mm -hmm. the original costume but um but that was it's pretty cool to see that stuff up close but see i again i was more of a i loved it but i loved the movie i loved the story i was you know the the, the guns and the spaceships and things those were all fun i loved it but right. it wasn't my you know that was it was more of the pop culture stuff that really uh that really got me going love that so uh, rest in peace, rest in peace, Peter yeah. Mayhew. The the marketing, I can't. I mean, that's what I, it just blows my mind when I think about it. That's all. And now those dolls, those little dolls, are worth a fortune. You know, you yeah. Can't, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're they're. <laughs> it's like you can't you can't just buy dolls and play with them anymore. You know, you got to keep them in the box. You have to be <laughs> and they can't. You know, get to wrap them in in tissue and don't open. Right. And uh, it's like the sneakerheads <laughs> that buy shoes they never wear because they're worth thousands. Yeah, and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a terrible collector because I want to play with everything. I could, I would never. Well, yeah, play. exactly. <laughs> unless I was like rich, unless I was like a rich kid and I could buy two of everything and not open one of them. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, that too. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Uh, so Kenny Baker, we mentioned him earlier. Uh, R2D2. Yeah. He was Kenny Baker was three foot eight, and I was wondering. He was a dwarf. He was, yeah, he was he three was foot. He was guy. literally half the height of Peter Mayhew. If he, if yeah, he took that's... another Kenny Baker and had him stand on his own head, he would he would be looking pretty much eyeball to eyeball with Peter Mayhew. 
So yeah, he was very tiny. And I believe, based on reading this book that I've been reading, he is the first person that they cast because the guys making the props needed a little needed to know who was going to go in the the little trash can you know for mm-hmm. for r2d2 and they needed to put him in there so that they knew what they were building would actually work with a person in it and so he ended up being i believe the very first actor cast or at least that's the gist i got uh from reading this book mm-hmm. because they needed him before they needed all the other actors um that and, makes sense <laughs> yeah and uh and but Famously, famously, you want to talk about David Prowse and feuds. Uh, Kenny Baker and Anthony Daniels, who played C-3PO, have one of the most infamous feuds in Hollywood history. They hated each other. Hated. I knew that they did. I didn't know it was that big of a deal. Kenny Baker, I read a couple of things that he said that, you know, he wasn't very sociable, but I never heard any kind of real nastiness. Baker, well, I think what happened was they didn't get along, and then it was kind of let sleeping dogs lie, but then in um, the early 2000s, uh, I think Baker started talking trash again in interviews. Uh, he called Daniels the rudest man I've ever met. Mm-hmm. He said mm-hmm. that Daniels was belittling to him. We would always call him little man. Um, that I guess he walked up to Daniels one time to talk to him, and Daniels was rude and snapped, you know, can't you see I'm talking or having a conversation? Uh, uh, he referred to Daniels as golden balls. Um, uh, and then Daniels has said that he doesn't know where this is coming from, but he um, – but publicly, Daniel said that working with Baker was like working with a bucket. <laughs> um, I think basically yeah. Daniel's – I think part of it too is that he, he felt – Daniel's felt that Baker's comments about him were not fair because um, Baker was just mad that Daniel's didn't seem to want to socialize with him. Um, but I think also the problem is that Daniel's didn't – Daniel saw that what he was doing as C-3PO was an actual acting performance and Baker yeah, was, was, and I think he saw Baker as just like a prop. He's operating a prop. He's not actually acting. The thing doesn't talk. Yeah. He's just rolling around in this thing. What is, you know, I think he kind of felt yeah. like we're not on the same level, you know. And plus, Daniels was like, because he wasn't talking, Daniels had to create his own dialogue in his head of what R2D2 was probably saying to him so that he could react to it. So Daniels felt like what he was doing was like a really hard job and. And just, just didn't feel like Baker was at his level. And then later on, when Baker wanted to do the fan conventions with Daniels, because how great would that be? R2-D2 and C-3PO actors together, Daniels wouldn't do it. So there was a financial I don't think Daniels too. does any of those things, does he? He could make a fortune doing this, but I don't think he does. I think he started doing it more recently, but at the time he wasn't interested. Yeah. He's so. a thespian. Yeah, but, uh, but his, ultimately, Kenny Baker, you know, he's a guy that fit into the suit. Uh, you know, there was no real acting. And I'm not saying, you know, there, you know, if they could have done away with it and just had it computerized, they'd have done it. You know, right. and even as the guy in the costume, if you look at those outtakes, he was always like, you know, ramming into walls and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> there were a lot of scenes where he was not, uh, where, you know, I, well, you know I don't, I'm not dismissing what he did. He was... Uh, he he was he was in Time Bandits. He was in The Elephant Man. He was also in a like I said. There's another Rocky Horror thing. He was in a movie called the The Wombles were like a trying to what what they would be uh, in America. They were like a uh, a family, a live action family of these. There were Wombles. They were like little animals, mm. and there were little people in suits. And my friend Sadie was a Womble, and so was Kenny Baker with him. And she she told me that Kenny was pursuing her and wanted to uh, wanted to marry her, and uh, and uh, and she wouldn't have anything to do with it. But they maintained a real friendly uh, relationship uh, for many years. And I said they were both they were both Ewoks. Uh, Kenny was um, 
he was supposed to have a much larger part in as an Ewok, but he ended up being ill and ended up being a minor Ewok. Did they na- they had names? Ewoks? Some of them did, yeah. I mean, not. All, I mean, they weren't named in the movie, but I guess they've had maybe they had names in the script, so you could tell the difference between them. And now the fans have picked up on that, what the different names were. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got to be a real fan in all that stuff. <laughs> the names of the Ewoks, yeah. <laughs> I was just a generic yeah. Ewok for, for Halloween. I don't know what my Ewok name was. It was a brown Ewok, that's yeah. what it was. Uh, speaking of little people, when Kenny Baker went to his interview to get the role for R2-D2, he brought his cabaret partner with him, another little person named Jack Purvis. And Jack Purvis, mm-hmm. because of that, ended up getting a role as the head Jawa. Uh, in in Star Wars. Oh right right right. Okay, yeah. I, re- I know that name, but I didn't I didn't go forward. He was another I, little I, person that acted okay. in a bunch of stuff, just like the uh, just like they did, you know, just like Kenny Baker did. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I knew he was part of like a a troupe or a, a trio or something, and and he almost didn't take the part because he didn't want to break up the you know break up the band as it sure, were. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, and uh, wisely did because they kept him, you know. Those people made a fortune at autograph shows. My God, even Carrie did the autograph shows. Uh, uh, as, you know, she she'd show up and they could pay, they could charge a fortune to sit there and sign autographs. You know, and it's like fifty bucks cash for, a, you know, a half a second of their lives. Uh, mm-hmm. She was very very kind and talked to people, but it was you know very much an industry. And here I am for eight hours. I'll do this for eight hours, and I'm out of here. And that's an easy ten grand cash for her. You know. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you do one of those every couple of months or every quarter or whatever, and you have enough to survive on, then why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, it did get, because I doubt that that Kenny Baker got points. You know, he probably got like 500 (laughs) bucks a week the first time. And then, you know, as the movies went on and made more money, he got paid more money. But it was a sentimental pay because anyone could have been in that thing that was that little, you know? I mean, it sounds so dismissive, uh, but. But he was in a, he was the inside of a costume, like the robot in Lost in Space, you know? It yeah. Was just, it was a guy. It was a guy. Uh, and that sounds really rude. I don't mean it that way. You know how I'm going with that, don't you? I mean, it, yeah. it, 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 it would take some training. I'm not going to say it's just somebody goes in. Well, R2-D2, yeah, it was just... Originally, R2-D2 was supposed to walk. The, his three little legs were supposed to kind of shuffle. I guess kind of like if yeah. you've ever seen Interstellar, the little robot they have in that that kind of does this thing. It was supposed oh, to kind of like that. It was supposed it, to kind of lumber yeah. along, and then I think they realized it was just too difficult to make that work, and they had him start and they had him roll instead. Well, they he does it a couple of times, and like at the ending of the the the, the throne room ending, he does walk up because everyone yeah, he kind of walk. He has this like dance yes. he does, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, that was, you know, that was talking about, yeah, that was a, all those emotional chords were, were, were brought out for that movie. Everyone was yeah. so into that. It was such a glorious ending to that movie. It really was. Um, so Kenny Baker passed away on August 13th, 2016. He had, had a lung condition for a long time. Uh, I think it had something to do with his death. He was, he was 81 years old. R.I.P. R.I.P. R2-D2. Um, so, okay, I guess we talk about uh, Alec Guinness. Yeah, and, and I've got um, I've got some small little characters we can mention, but yeah, let's uh, Sir Alec Guinness, uh, who um, originally was a, 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 
excited until he heard it was a science fiction movie and was unsure if he wanted to do it much like i think um i think anthony daniels felt kind of the same way at first uh not mm-hmm. he was at, guinness was not sure he wanted to do a science fiction movie uh, but then when he read the script he loved it and it was a he it was a page turner you know kind of like what you've said about the, the story he's like he wanted to turn the next page to see what happened next he was really engrossed by it uh and he had to read it a few times just like everybody else did till he really fully understood it but um but he, he ended up accepting it. And I think uh, 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 um, Harrison Ford said he thinks that Alec Guinness took the part because Guinness saw it as a very American movie. as kind of like a Western, uh, which, yeah. you know, it, it had a lot of uh, connections to yeah. plot-wise. And so he, that's how he kind of saw it. Maybe that's why he, he jumped on board. Probably getting paid fifteen grand a week in 1976 was probably a, another incentive. Yeah, and I mean, he, was the, the film he too. was the only one that was really a name in that movie. I mean, there's Peter Cushing, uh, and 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 he always, but he really panned the dialogue, didn't he? He always said, "You hear so many different things." The only reason he, he wasn't going to do it, but then he saw American Graffiti and he liked George Lucas, right? So, so, but then you always hear that he really, he really, you know, dismissed the dialogue and said it was hokey and he hated it. However, he got points. He made a lot of money off of that movie nobody knew it was going to make any money so he made bank i mean he, that guy was rolling in it just from i don't know nobody got the image stuff nobody got that merchandising stuff but he got points from the gross of the movie or is that net i don't know what that means but of the earnings yeah. of the movie he got uh, he got money he got money so Sir Alec Guinness, uh, he was an Oscar winner uh, for The Bridge Over the River Kwai, of course, famous for Lawrence of Arabia, Doctor Zivago. Uh, um, and so he, he and, and Lucas was against casting, for the most part, casting famous people in, in Star Wars because he believed that if the audience recognized an actor, it would take them out of the fantasy of the film, right? He, he, he felt like if you put Robert Redford in your movie, now it's a Robert Redford movie. It's hard to imagine Robert Redford is not Robert Redford. So how do you imagine him, you know, as a swashbuckler in space? Uh, he just felt like it took it. And it was the other reason that George Lucas didn't originally didn't want to cast anybody from American Graffiti because, again, he didn't want people he saw in his last movie – to be in this this epic fantasy film that he was making mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then eventually of course he changed his mind because Harrison Ford was in American Graffiti and he ended up auditioning several actors uh, uh, in addition you know for he and, and, uh, Dreyfus was another one that was in the running for Han Solo for a while who was also in American Graffiti so he eventually kind of changed his mind on that a little bit but yeah Sir Alec Guinness was the only real big star at that time even though Carrie Fisher was famous um, she hadn't really been in much of anything yet when she took on only the, only the shampoo, Leia I character. think. But yeah, yeah. She but Elegantus was yeah. so Elegantus was huge in Britain, but really ordinary looking. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't going to steal anybody's thunder. He he was a, right. a kind, older looking gentleman who didn't need to do movies. You know, hugely successful on the stage. They put him up there with, you know, mm-hmm. John Gilgood. And there's there's like three of those. Olivier. In fact, I think they were all friends. Uh, but, um, you know, hugely successful on stage Shakespearean actor, but not known enough to be, uh, you know, a distraction. And, and he's really, mm-hmm. Obi-Wan Kenobi is really not in it for all that long, is he? I mean, is he? I don't, I, I think a lot of it, the plot revolves around him so much, but is You're he, right. I guess he, he in the first movie, yes. And then he's voice only, obviously, for the most part, yeah. he shows up as a force ghost, you know, at certain points, but he mainly just in, in Luke's head with voiceover for the rest of it. Yeah. Um, 
So have you, so now we've talked about this before, how, you know, it became a common trope in Hollywood. Uh, just like everybody said they were supposed to be at Sharon Tate's house the night of the murders, everybody tried to say they warned James Dean not to drive his car, that Porsche, that he was going to die if he kept racing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. George Stevens claimed to have told that story. And, and uh, one of the people that claims to have told him this is Sir Alec Guinness. Uh, and this came out uh, in an, an interview he did right uh, the same year, I believe, that Star Wars came out. He talked about um, – he claims that he met James Dean outside a restaurant in Hollywood, in L.A. area, uh, about a week before James Dean died. And I think Alec Guinness had gotten into a fight with somebody or something, and he, or he couldn't get back into the restaurant for some reason. And James Dean rolled up and and said hey um you know i'm going in i'm going in just come in with me and so they went he, they went in together uh, but before they did alec guinness said he checked out this porsche that was in the parking lot and he said it still had like the cellophane kind of wrapping on it certain ports of it to you know protect the paint job and whatever and he told and he started talking to james dean about this car and he says that james dean told him it could do a top speed of 150 miles an hour and Guinness claims that he told James Dean, he said, if you drive this car within a week from this point, you'll be you'll be dead. He mm -hmm. said, it's now Thursday or, you know, Friday night at 10 p.m. By next, this time next week, you'll be dead. And he was. So I don't mm -hmm. know if that's true or not, but he, I, I've listened to the actual audio of the interview, and it sound, he's very matter-of-fact about it. And he doesn't strike mm -hmm. me as a guy who tells BS stories. So I don't know. I, I tend to, I tend to believe it, I guess. I have no reason not to, even though I know a lot of people have said that they did warn him not to drive. I don't, I mean, I, I, I think not. That's my guess. That's mm -hmm. my, uh, I don't think, uh, you know, happen, yeah. I, 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 he's a, he's an actor. He's probably a, you know, someone that would live, dine out on a good story and, sure. uh, and, <laughs> sure. and, and have a lot of people listen to him. I mean, I, I'm mm -hmm. not saying that an interaction didn't happen, but, sure. uh, you know, maybe he saw and he goes, you're going to, you know, that's a death trap or something like that. But and that's kind of, you know, got, it was now yeah. 10 o'clock on Friday and within seven <laughs> days, you know, that's <laughs> right, what he's right. saying. And it's like, I, I, you know, I don't think so, but, um, you know, I, what, they might have had an interaction and, and uh, it's possible, but. Yeah, yeah. What it just sounds like it's been embellished. It, he, and, 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 he, and he claims they had a you know a lovely evening at the restaurant, and he was and he was very sad when it happened, like everybody else was. He said he wished he'd gotten to know him better, and you know mm -hmm. he lived. So, yeah. So, uh, Alec Guinness passed away on August fifth, two thousand, from liver cancer. He was eighty six. He's the only uh, one out of the cast that was nominated for any, or, you know, yeah, the cast, he was nominated for best uh, supporting actor that year. It, I mean, it won other Oscars. It won for, uh, uh, I think it was uh, achievement, special achievement and uh, special effects and sound and visual effects. Mm -hmm. And it was nominated. And I believe John Williams uh, was nominated and won for the score, best original score. Uh, oh my God. When I was in band in high school, we did the Star Wars theme. Could you imagine having to be a parent and listen to a high school <laughs> band doing like a 15-minute orchestral <laughs> version of Star Wars by like kids who aren't even into it, most of them? Oh, my God, the agony that must have been. I was in the marching band at Arizona State University, and we did a, uh, we did a, a Star Wars show. But we were college kids. We were a little bit better. And we had 52 trumpets. In our band, yeah. so it sounded pretty good. But yeah, in a high school yeah. orchestra, I can see it would be a little, <laughs> a little rough. I would love to. I would love to hear a recording of that. I really would. 
Uh, but you said <laughs> so. Guinness had two point two five uh, interest in in the revenue uh, hmm. from it, and uh, and he said he had asked to confirm the additional 0.5 in, in writing, but was told it was reduced to 0.25. I'm not quite sure hmm. dialogue because he'd been, um, yeah, sorry, but it was revealed in the 77 interview with Michael Parkinson that it was in, uh, supported by many public comments. Mark Hamill, they were all speaking highly of him and his, uh, anyway, it doesn't really matter. He, he didn't quibble. This, he made a fortune. I think they said that he, um, what the, if the film grossed something like a hundred million dollars and he had or four hundred million dollars and he had two yeah. percent interest in the revenue, which, which who knows <laughs> after Hollywood accounting is taken into account how much actually made it to him, but probably a pretty good amount because I'm sure they negotiated a good deal for him if he was you know because everybody knows what Hollywood accounting is they knew what it was back yeah. then and it's, it's, still, matter, I mean, it's not just getting a percentage it's making sure you're high enough on the pecking order that you get it <laughs> that you get that money uh -huh. you're not so far down that it all gets sucked up by other you know uh the hollywood accounting is very famous for for the shady accounting practices that they do and you think you're in for two percent but then you realize you're in for two percent of the remaining ten percent that the studio doesn't take as a distribution fee after you know all these other people there's like a hierarchy to who gets their percentages oh, first, interesting basically it's really interesting. yeah it's very and uh, there's a running joke in hollywood that no movie has ever made money <laughs> as far as hollywood yeah. accounting is concerned yeah they they always find a way to to say that it didn't make anything. So, um but the casting was uh, wild. Jodie Foster for one at one point was kind of in the lead to play Leia. Uh but she was too young cuz she was 15. Uh Terry Nunn who went on to be the lead singer of Berlin Stop was it. in the that lead, but she was bull. also a minor. <laughs> that is a that is according to the 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 definitive book. Uh and she's talked about it. Yeah, she did, and Mark Hamill even commented that he um, he saw her because Mark Hamill didn't think he was going to get it either, but he knew she had auditioned, and he um, he saw her collecting unemployment, like in the unemployment line, like a week after he had auditioned, and she's like, "I didn't get it," and she's like, "What about you?" And he said, "I didn't get it either," because he didn't think he did. Okay, uh, so she yeah, but Terry Nunn, but Terry Nunn was was, was she did she did um, there's pictures of her I believe doing you know doing the audition like in there with George and reading. Reading for it. Okay. Tons of people. Uh, Nick Nolte audition. Tommy Lee Jones. Travolta. Yeah. Kurt Russell. Christopher Walken was in the was a, a, a favored to play Han at one point. Uh, he would have been a little bit older. Um, but one of the reasons they went with Carrie Fisher is because unlike Jodie Foster and Terry Nunn, Carrie Fisher was eighteen, and so you didn't have to worry about child labor laws filming, which you do with when you work with minors. They can only work a certain number of hours a day. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas adults, mm -hmm. you know, you can kind of you can kind of abuse more. Um, that's right. why a lot of times child act. That's why a lot of times child actors are twins because then they can rotate yeah. the twin in and get a full day of filming out of the two. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But Carrie, yeah, she she spent a lot of time in in Britain uh, anyway, so that's probably it didn't didn't hurt things. But um, yeah, it, I just listened to the audio book of Todd Fisher. Who's her brother? Carrie Fisher's brother. Oh, oh, sorry. Mm. We, we'll, we'll stay with um, with Alec we, Guinness. Are we we're, did we finish? We uh, did finish him, didn't we? Yeah, I'll just say one more thing about the casting process. Uh, when they started doing the casting, uh, Brian De Palma and George Lucas were, and I guess assume still are, very good friends. And De Palma was casting for Carrie, the movie Carrie. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. And, yes, that they, is, and yeah. he pitched the idea of, well, we're both looking for kind of the same age 
group and you're going to, and he already knows Lucas is doing this huge cattle call. He wants to yeah. see everybody. So De Palma's like, I'll just sit in with you and we'll cast both films together. Yeah. And De Palma ended up casting most of his, you know, the, the leads out of those sessions and Lucas couldn't make his mind up. So eventually De Palma got bored with the process and, you know, left it to Lucas to run the rest of the time. But yeah, they weeks they sat together and cast for both Carrie and yeah. Star Wars, which then led to confusion for the actors because they didn't know who, what they were <laughs> auditioning for. Yeah, 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 and De Palma was yeah, the better Carrie known director at the wanted, time. So <laughs> Carrie said that she wanted to do, she thought that she was going to be doing Carrie. That's what she thought was going to, you know, she, because she, you know, Carrie doing Carrie, ha ha ha. But, uh, right, but yeah, right. she thought that, um, that, that I think that's the part she thought she might get. So she was sort of surprised that they got, she got Star Wars. But, uh, that, 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 uh, audio book was fascinating that Todd Fisher did. I was really surprised. I was expecting it to be, um, you know, mean a lot of inserting yourself into situations but they were really mm -hmm. close and it was it was it was a really interesting story the, the two of them and debbie reynolds they were all three of them close but uh but yeah fascinating fascinating story those three those, that family eddie fisher and carrie fisher and debbie reynolds and yeah, I mean, Carrie Fisher was born into Hollywood royalty by every def by the very definition of it. She's this, the daughter of yeah. Eddie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. I mean, yeah. uh, and uh, when she started, um, she was a, uh, in addition to being an actress, she's a bit of a socialite. She liked to throw big parties in New York. And there's a great, I think it may be an excerpt from her book, um, but I read it as an article. Um, there's some great stories about her hanging out with the cast of SNL. And, oh yeah, uh, and her, yeah, yeah. And her, her friendship, yeah. her friendship with John Belushi, which uh, kind of mm -hmm. centered on their both their love of cocaine, their mutual love of cocaine. Yeah. But also, they were just good platonic friends. You know, Belushi was married the whole time. Um, but uh, uh, and I remember the SNL cast were in awe of Carrie Fisher and why why did she even want to hang out with them? Because she was Hollywood royalty and they were just you know a bunch of dumb kids from Second City. They were just kind of like oh wow. They were kind of starstruck by her, even though at this point they're like some of the biggest comedians in the country because SNL is this big you know cultural phenomenon. So it's kind of mm -hmm. funny to hear people kind of a, taken off with their own careers, but then Carrie Fisher rolls in and it's like oh here's like the real <laughs> the real starlet is is among us. Yeah. Yeah, she was. Um, yeah, she certainly brought along a uh, a, a cachet with her just by her birthright, uh, mm -hmm. certainly. But she she also earned her own way uh, into yep. into pop culture. She was. Um, I, I knew her uh, uh, not like we weren't super friends, but I knew her fairly well. And uh, when it, from my time in England, and she was uh, she was just exhausting. To be around nice but the bipolar <laughs> stuff made her really difficult right. to be around and she was she was like you know you were just this is this is it was like you couldn't follow it and uh but but she was like i say she was super super nice and just as uh you know throughout the one-liners the bumper sticker one-liners uh all <laughs> the time you know she always had some some kind of remark to make um we were talking about drinking or something like that she said i'm not I'm not in AA. I'm just, I'm just a, or something like that, you know, making a kind of just, <laughs> but she also told me a, a really interesting anecdote and I don't know what it even got started on, but she told me, she says, famous people, um, when you become famous, people don't want to talk to you anymore. I may have told you this before. Or I might've mentioned well, people don't want to talk. To, people don't want to talk to you anymore. They only want to listen to you. 
So you can go up to somebody and go, I love you. I love you. And, and, uh, and then you can start spouting out and you could talk about anything. You could say, I had the shittiest day, da di da. And people, the, the fans will just go, uh, you know, leaning <laughs> on your every word and smile and, and giggle and, and tear because they want to please every you. Joke and-, <laughs> and then that's, she said, that's why celebrities have this distorted view of what they have to say is important to other people because people give them that power. And right. uh, it, was, it was very, it was interesting to get that anecdote because she saw it from all around and, and she, she knew that she was born into an odd situation and, and she struggled with bipolar and drug addiction and her relationship with her parents, et cetera. But mm-hmm. she was able to, to parlay that into that career of being this, this, this writer that was pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty funny, pretty good stuff. She's a fan, she was a fantastic author. She wrote um, Postcards from the Edge, which you know, started out, she wrote as a book kind of semi-autobiographical, which then, of course, got made into the movie. Um, she was also yeah. a script doctor in Hollywood, which if you don't know what a script doctor yeah. is, people listening, um, you're usually an uncredited role. You're brought in to punch up a script um, to help. Yeah. Sometimes it's just you're brought in to write. It could be as simple as we want you to pump up the dial- uh, punch up the dialogue for this specific character, right? Or it might right. be the whole script we want you to look at or whatever. But a script doctor, it's their job to come in and kind of fine-tune a script. And she supposedly worked as a script doctor on Hook, for Spielberg, uh, Sister Act, The Wedding Singer, Lethal Weapon 3, um, and I believe she also did some script doctor work on some of the prequel Star Wars movies, um, hmm. which she probably was happy to not get uh, credited for. <laughs> but, uh, right. but she was also, she, she said that she is the most successful actress in Hollywood. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She says, well, Every, I have been in so many blockbusters. I may have had just a cameo in them, but I was mm-hmm. in, you know, when Harry met Sally, I was in Star Wars and I was in Charlie's Angels. I was in, you know, she was in all these hit, hit movies uh, that by by box office standards, she was the, you know, the most successful financial actress of all time at that time. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Was, yeah, totally. Yeah. She was also in The Burbs. It's one of my favorites that she was in. She played Tom wow. Hanks's wife, remember? Who, who? She's not uh, in it a whole yeah. bunch because she leaves. She leaves with the kids at a certain point once his antics get out of control. But yeah, she's funny in it. Uh, was it? Oh, that uh, we talked about that in the Wizard of Oz. That uh, that were the Oz movie that they did with the with the dwarves, and she was Chevy Chase, and that was with Chevy Chase. And they were making the Wizard of Oz. Uh, you know that we we talked about that during the Wizard of Oz episode. It was um, Under the Rainbow. And oh, they, it was all about the Munchkins filming The Wizard of Oz oh, and right. at the Culver Hotel, and they were you know yep. swinging from the rafters. And it's a you know it's a terrible terrible movie, but uh, but yeah, she's <laughs> she's done some clunkers, that's for sure. But uh, but who hasn't? Amazing act, amazing uh, amazing writer. So um, so you. You mentioned her bipolar. So the, the the one story I have about Carrie Fisher, I never met her, but I was um, I was shopping a couple of years ago. I was in a clothing store, and the 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 person working at the the, the clerk working at the store, we started talking, and somehow I maybe Carrie maybe it was a few years ago. Maybe Carrie Fisher just died. I don't remember, but she um, but but this this worker said that they had a previously worked at another big clothing store in LA that's very well known and when they worked there at the time it was kind of famous the store was open till midnight that was kind of one of their things that they were known for it was this kind of high-end clothing store and they were open till midnight and they said that Carrie Fisher used to come in uh and um 
and and shop at like she'd come in at like you know 11:30 midnight or so and they'd keep the store open later for her cuz they know she was going to buy a lot but they said they felt kind of bad because it was obvious that Carrie was kind of having a manic episode a lot of times when she was coming in and buying mm-hmm. all these clothes. And they're like, I don't know if we should be selling her all this. But then they're like, well, she'll probably come back tomorrow or the next day and return whatever she doesn't like when she kind of comes back down again. Um, but they said she never did. She never returned anything. She would come in and just buy a ton of stuff and be in this super positive kind of manic mode and apparently just kept it. Yeah. And she never well, She never wore shoes. It used to make me nuts. 30 feet and she always put him on like she always put him on the chair always put him on the sofa and it was like uh i just have a thing about feet anyway but it was just always always it was yeah (laughs) and you're credited in a tarantino movie and you have a thing against feet (laughs) (laughs) i know right (laughs) no it's great i think feet are you know i don't want to see other people's feet now and she anyway but but anyway she was I, i liked her a lot she was really nice and uh just just difficult to be around sometimes and um and just funny we would so yeah this the the book that todd fisher wrote was uh was really interesting how they had uh went to see the first screening of star wars uh the first the first new hope uh and that was at fox uh, it was like an advanced screening and they they kind of snuck in when the credits you know and she was like scared to death because it was all this hoopla at on fox on the fox they all were nobody knew what was going to happen and by the time they you know the movie goes over with they're all sitting here with their mouths wide open going what did we just watch this is incredible Um, right so she so she um you know she she definitely (laughs) learned how to embrace it but you know and i and i do think they got some kind of profit sharing uh somehow but not the marketing and she was she would always make you know cracks about stuff like that because she would bring out uh, on, on talk shows, she would bring out toys of her, you know, when it was, and she made those Pez dispensers and she was, you know, look at this. You can snap my neck back and then candy goes candy out, of out of my throat. throat. Yeah. That's, that's, and um, she, just, she, had, she did that great, um, speech, that roasting of George Lucas when he got the AFI lifetime achievement award. And yeah. if you haven't seen it, everybody listening, you should. It's on YouTube. It's amazing. And she goes into that. She says that um, she can't look at herself in the mirror without sending George a couple of bucks. <laughs> he owns her likeness. And she she mentioned the Pez dispenser that her daughter, whenever her daughter would get mad at her, she'd break out the Pez dispenser and pull candy out of her throat. And then she said, or the the shampoo bottle where you twisted my head off and poured soap yeah. on my neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and how? Oh, and how George Lucas, um, George Lucas wouldn't let her wear um, a bra underneath. You know, mm-hmm. like the the famous metal bikini and all the all, all the other outfits she wore. She wasn't wear, allowed to wear a bra because George Lucas told her there was no underwear in space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Right. But all the other characters had cod pieces, though. Yeah, weird. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny, but she uh, she got a lot of flack for the hairdo. And uh, and I don't know if there mm-hmm. was ever any kind of if there was ever any regret on George Lucas's part for that, uh, the hair and her for the little you know, the cinnamon group. bun <laughs> yeah. buns on the side of her head. Yeah. yeah. But she was she, she I mean, she was. She knew how to get a joke out of everything, and I've seen it on a dozen shows. But she makes me laugh every time when she says, "I when someone you know on the Ellen DeGeneres show when she did her uh, the first sitcom 
Carrie Fisher, you know, played just a quick cameo in this bookstore as herself. And Ellen grabs the, the buns and says, look, I'm Princess Leia. And she goes, you know, <laughs> as many times as I see that, I never get tired of it. <laughs> you know, she was always, uh, <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. I never get sick of it. And uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> but yeah, that was, she, um, God, I mean, just the Blues Brothers, another highest grossing movie. Uh, you know, she, she was just in so much stuff. And that's how... I think she hooked up with all of that Saturday Night Live clan. Um, uh, well, supposedly, I read that she said that, uh, you know, back in, she was friends with Aykroyd and Belushi and the SNL cast. And when she did, uh, when she was agreed to be in Blues Brothers, uh, supposedly the agreement was that Belushi, John, and Dan Aykroyd would get to play like aliens or some type of creature in the next Star Wars movie. And George Lucas was like, no. <laughs> so no. she pitched it to him. No, it's like, funny. No. I... But, but she was still in Blues Brothers, obviously, as the mystery woman. I just remember there was a guy I knew, a comic, he's probably still around, his name was Scott Capuro, and uh, and another comic I knew named Greg Proops, and both of those guys were hired to be sportscasters in one of the Star Wars movies. I forget which one it was, but there were two sportscasters that were, you know, aliens or whatever, but they were celebrity voices, and it was these two guys. I just remember that. I forgot about that. Um, it's probably the prequel so they, where they had the pod, where they had the pod racing. It was like a it was like a Ben Hur type of uh, chariot race, but okay. they called pod racers. That's the only thing I can think of where they might have had that kind of character. I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, it started getting did. a bit silly when they do the Jar Jar Binks business, and I, I, I oh, really. God. The yeah. biggest problem I have with the, with the Star Wars the original trilogy is that they won't give us the original version pre nineties when they went in and did all the really what's now extremely dated. CGI from the 90s which they went in and added to the original trilogy so because George Lucas wanted it to match up better with the prequels that he was about to come out with so they added all types of little alien creatures in the things they added scenes yeah. there's now a whole song and dance sequence in it that's just terrible and there's a really bad they put in a deleted scene where uh, Han Solo talks to um is in the hangar and, yeah. he, and he talks to Jabba the Hutt and there's this, but they hadn't designed the Jabba the Hutt creature yet at the time so they didn't realize he's going to have a tail so there's a scene, moment where Han Solo is supposed to walk behind him but they realize he can't walk behind him because there's a big tail there so they did this, it's just, it's awful this like digital, they make Harrison Ford kind of pop up and back down again as he's walking, like to show always oh, he's stepping up. It looks it looks like I did it and I don't know how to do it. Like that, it looks so it looks so cl- I can't it looks so bad. I can't believe they were like, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's put it out there. I can't. I really cannot believe that they that they approve that. It looks so bad. I just I, the fans I, they want so badly to have the original trilogy unmessed with. And granted, there were other tweaks that were made through various releases, little little things that were done uh, to it, you know, in the years before they did the big thing in the 90s. But I just give me like the digitally cleaned up, fine, remastered, but yeah. original. Call it Star Wars classic, call it whatever you want. I know George Lucas is completely dead set against it, ever doing releasing that. And I don't know if Disney, as part of their deal when they acquired the thing, agreed to never ever release the original versions of the film. But it really sucks that we can't get a. We can't get that. We, I can't get a 4K or Blu-ray copy of the original trilogy before they mess with it. It, it like bumps it me. Does, I mean, Disney. I can't imagine them not having that in the deal. You know, uh, right. when they run out of making more Star Wars movies, they'll just reissue them all. Go probably. back and repack. And you're right, like yeah. classic version and stuff. Um, call it whatever you, Star Wars Vintage or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you go into the 
there's so many things that were so advanced in that movie. But then when you go to the cantina, some of those are really bad. You know, those costume <laughs> characters, they were, they were like, you know, just mannequin heads. They didn't have any moving parts. No, you know, a lot of yeah. them were just not. That's uh, where, and they, that's where it's because the studio um, cut down in their pre-production time. And that just ended mm-hmm. up costing them later. Is they said they cost them, you know, they ended up costing them twice as much to shoot some of these things because they wouldn't let them have a skeleton crew through an extra six weeks of pre-pro to get things like the alien costumes perfect and fine-tuned. And yeah. so there's there are moments in it where the seams show a little bit where you realize, oh, this was rushed. It's amazing that it looks as good as it does, but there's still some moments yeah. that don't look. You know. Have you been to that uh, that cantina bar on Hollywood Boulevard? I haven't. No. It's uh, it's on the same block as the Vine Street Cinema. And oh, really? it is, it's, it's made to look like the cantina and it's oh, got, wow. you know, all the rocks and everything. And, and, uh, the drinks were these really bizarre looking concoctions and the, mo- the most awful drinks you'll ever imagine. But the guys are dressed like the bartender in the cantina. And, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, it was like the Beetlejuice bar they had going for a while, but it's right. still, you know, I don't know if they're going to open it again after this business, but, uh, but it's, yeah. it's right there on Hollywood and Vine practically. Do you have any other Carrie Fisher stories? In what what context did you meet her? Was it was it during your ex's show that you met her, or when? when yeah, was it? he when when we were together, he wanted to meet her. He wanted to be friends with her. That's what he mm-hmm. wanted. I mean, that was before way before he even had a show. He's like, I want to know right. her. I want to be friends with her. So when he started the ball rolling, he got her on as a guest, and they hit it off. So we, you know, we saw each other socially uh, several times. So I guess I want to misrepresent it as being friends, like we called each of other. Course. I mean, she called the house, but it was like, I want to talk to, you know, <laughs> the other one. You know, so it wasn't like we talked a whole lot, you know. We ended up in, right. in the green room at, you know, a couple of different things and ended up having conversations. But it was, you know, we weren't friends, friends. So, uh, but she was, she was a nice, she was funny, funny for certain absolutely funny actually one of the last things she did was my ex's show in london oh wow uh, yeah the last interview she did was that i knew she was on a flight coming back from london i didn't realize that yeah Yeah, that's one of the things she did she did his show and then she did another quick game show and then she was on the plane back uh when she had the uh, heart attack yeah, so it was uh, December 23rd, 2016, uh, flight from London to L.A., and she suffered what was described as a medical emergency on the flight. Um, and then, uh, But she survived, and but then passed away four days later um, at the age of, I believe, 60. She was... Yeah. 60. And Todd was saying, Todd, her brother, was saying that she, you know, there was a, there was a while where they really thought she might pull through, although she'd yeah. been out for her heart attack for like 10 minutes. So the odds of them... Ugh getting her out with little, you know, damage, uh, were right. not that great, but they, you know, of course you hold hope, but, uh, eventually that wasn't going to happen. And, uh, and she ended up passing away and then bizarrely, you know, her mother died like the next day. <laughs> it was like, it was the most bizarre That's thing. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Debbie Reynolds, uh, Debbie Reynolds, her mother, uh, suffered a stroke on December 28th. So yeah, that the following day, uh, suffered a stroke mm-hmm. and was pronounced dead at Cedar sinai and um, I believe uh, Carrie's brother was the one that said that shortly before Debbie Reynolds died, she said, I want to be with Carrie. Yeah. And that she, she yeah. He believed that, uh, that Carrie passing at least was a contributing factor to the stroke that it hit her mom so hard. You know, I, I thought that was going to be BS when I read those quotes, but reading, listening to his entire 14-hour book, 
I, I believe it. And he's not representing yeah. himself differently than he was there. He remembers it and he believed it, that that was what it was. These were his two closest people in his life and they didn't want to live with these kids. Debbie, they had a strained relationship a lot of times, but she was extremely protective of Carrie and had a special, mm -hmm. you know, probably your favorite, I guess. And uh, so, um, so yeah, it was, it was, um, that, it was wild, the joint funeral with uh, the whole, at the forest lawn and, and, <laughs> Carrie's buried in the Prozac bottle or whatever, Prozac pill. Yeah, so she supposedly some of her ashes are buried next to her mother in Forest Lawn, and then the rest are in an urn yeah. that's shaped like a giant Prozac pill, <laughs> which you can see. Well, the Prozac pill of... is with her mother, yeah. Oh, is that she, the one that's put, with her? Okay. Yeah, because yeah. that was like her cookie jar or something at home. And uh, and then when they were looking for an urn for her, Todd was like, Billy, too, the daughter, Billy. Uh, uh, Billy Lord. I think they thought that she would have thought it was funny. And I think they're probably right. They're probably oh, like definitely. That. I mean, if you see ever see pictures of her house, it's it is right. freaking madhouse. <laughs> right. Yeah, and right. I well, Billy, they were going to sell the house, but Billy decided to keep the house, and they're redoing it. And they uh -huh. had that auction of all her stuff, uh, a lot of her stuff, and Debbie's stuff because Debbie, you know, saved those costumes and. Mm -hmm. You know, Debbie, Debbie, oh man, you know, somebody deserves to be haunted by the ghost of Debbie Reynolds because of the, the lengths that she went to to save and preserve Hollywood costumes, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and back in the seventies when no one was doing it and she's, mm -hmm. you know, she got Marilyn seven year itch dress and she's got the singing in the rain business and she's got all these costumes. And this person said they were going to help him. George Lucas said, no, Steven Spielberg said, no, sell this stuff. I suggest you sell it. These people, you know, they were going to do this deal right. and have it here. It fell through. And, you know, finally she's like, screw it. I I'm old. I, I need the money and we're getting rid of it. So all those costumes are out into the world because no one would give her her freaking museum. And that right. just blows. And now, ironically, there is a Ken Academy Museum <laughs> that Steven Spielberg well, you know contributed yeah. many millions of dollars to. <laughs> and now, I guess, Todd, according to Todd, uh, he said that Debbie, he was going to give them some of the Debbie costumes that they can get rid of. And he says, I will only give these to you if you call it the Debbie Reynolds wing or something you know, to them uh, in, the, in the Academy. Yes. So I don't know if that's going to happen, yes. but I know that that was that was that was spoken. So uh, mm -hmm. and I hope so. She she really got God, you know, she got screwed. And if you if you do that story of Debbie Reynolds and those costumes, it is it's criminal what they uh, what they did not do for that heritage of that entire town, of that entire industry. And, you know, she had like the original camera that was used in Gone with the Wind. You know, she saved everything. She bought everything. She went broke buying this stuff. And Carrie, you know, they were they had, a, you know, a struggle of life, you know, the two of them together. But Carrie was a big proponent of that, too, you know, trying to get things off the ground to get that museum done for her mother. And and Todd was the man who took care of all those things. I don't know. It just is really sad. And that that is that woman got screwed over, I think. But anyway, uh, and speaking <laughs> of people that got screwed over. Well, OK, so Carrie passed away and she's buried in a in a in a Prozac pill, giant pill. Prozac pill. <laughs> Which so you can find pictures of online her, of her brother carrying it at the memorial service. <laughs> it's like the size of a football. The, <laughs> yes. The, uh, I was going to say that up for in the Grammys, uh, it did, was up for best album of the year. So the Star Wars soundtrack. And they lost. Oh, right. To, they lost to Fleetwood Mac Rumors. They, that's mm. the one that won album of the year. And uh, which is. Uh, interesting but you know what else happened in that ceremony 
best newcomer of the of the Grammys that year. They, they were up for the cars were up for it for best newcomer. They lost over a group called A Taste of Honey. Huh. Now, do you, do you remember A Taste of Honey? <laughs> I think you I might don't. remember the name, but not it's really. A, it's a disco song called Boogie Oogie Oogie Till You Just Can't Boogie No More. And that is what the Cars, as best newcomer, lost out oh. to. That in the swing and a miss. That, that is something. That is something that's always really bugged me, and I always wanted to, to say that out loud because it really always bothered me a great deal. But anyway, um, the reason and, that um, um, the reason that the reason that John Williams did the Star Wars score was asked to, to do it is because of another film we've talked about. It's because of Jaws. And Jaws had come oh, out yeah. the year before they went into production on. Um, in fact, I think Jaws was in post-production while they were in pre-production on Star Wars, or maybe yeah, or something that like sense. that. They were still in development because it was Close. Star Wars was in development for a couple of years. Um, but regardless, George Lucas, of course, was friends with Spielberg and heard the score and liked it. And Spielberg was like, was really enthusiastic. Like, oh, you got to meet this guy, John Williams. He's great, and he does classical style orchestration yeah. which is what lucas wanted he wanted a big classical score and the rest is, is history and john williams did the lost in space theme song on tv oh, and he yeah. did uh he did valley of the dolls he was around he was johnny williams of the valley of the dolls in the right. credits and then you know he went on of course raiders and superman and and uh i saw a video on youtube recently where there were these two guys i think one of them had a trombone and one of them had a trumpet and they stood in front of John Williams' house and started playing, yes. <laughs> playing the Star Wars. Did you see he that? He came out. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I don't know if he did come out. Something, but no, it was he did. a great. He video. came out. He uh, he came out and talked to them. It was he was really nice to them. It was really cool. Was and I don't really, know if that was that a was really planned cool. thing or if it just happens that he came out was home and came out. And uh, yeah, he talked to him. It was really nice. <laughs> uh, hold on one second. I found this i think it was in my mom's records or possibly in uh, uh our friend kelly's record collection i can't remember which but uh it is dion warwick in valley of the dolls final oh nice nice yep uh, that's beautiful the girl who made alfie has done it again with the theme from valley of the dolls so she's great she's great you she's this? got some do you great... want it I'll take it. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, I don't have that. That'd be great. I will put, if you don't have this, I will put it in your collection. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So the, I, I just want to quickly, there's a couple of other people I just want to shout out. So there was sure. Sheila Fraser. Sheila Fraser was Aunt yes. Peru, who mm -hmm. was, you know, his, the adopted his uh, Luke Skywalker. Uh, she was 57 when they made the movie. They wanted to hire someone who was had a little British accent. She was actually born mm. in Australia. Huge on the uh, stage. And also did uh, a lot of uh, Hammer films. Again, she was another person that did the huh. Hammer horror films. The Body snatch, the body Stealers, and uh, etc. But um, she died uh, at the age of 77 in 2000. Phil Brown played Uncle Owen, who was 61 when they made the movie. And, and he's uh, an interesting backstory. He was blacklisted during the McCarthy era. Yeah, and he, he took was up born to in <laughs> he was born in Massachusetts, and he was never a part of the Communist Party or anything. But he was it was guilt by association. He was in a, I think an actors group that was uh, mm -hmm. that they suspected. So he got blacklisted in '52, and yeah, he fled to England. And the reason he got the part is he's from Massachusetts, 
and George Lucas wanted an actor with a, a kind of ironic, kind of funny that Frazier needed to be a British accent, but he wanted uh, Uncle Owen to have a, a heavy American accent. And yeah, here's this, here's this the, American uh, yeah. from Massachusetts who's living in England where they're filming, so yeah. he got the part. Yeah, I wonder what the uh, what the reasoning was for that because obviously there was, right? Uh, you know that that she should be she should have a British accent and he have an American one. Nothing is done yep. accidentally, so um, yeah, I wonder what that and was. He, and he said that they wanted to cast a, a curmudgeon, and he was naturally a curmudgeon, so it was easy for him to play the role. Yeah. <laughs> um, he passed away on February 9th, two thousand six, from pneumonia. He was eighty nine. He was in Chaplin too, wasn't he? He was a projectionist in Chaplin. Was he? I just watched that again like two days ago. I didn't even – because I know Duchovny was the camera operator um, for like the Max Sennett stuff and some of the other films that they had him do. I didn't – man, now i got to watch it again so I can find Uncle Owen. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he came – I mean he he came back to America and he was doing the – conventions he loved it he was eating it up you know so uh so he, he really enjoyed the notoriety not bad for a you know a probably three minutes screen time right at the most you know so good for him but he he had a name and he didn't he wasn't covered up by you know a mask so it was his face that yeah. you see on screen so i can see yeah it's uncle owen everybody recognize would recognize him yeah i could see how it would yeah and aunt Baru with him. the blue milk right right <laughs> <laughs> But, um, and then the last one was that Jack Purvis guy. I didn't know he was Kenny Baker's friend, but he was the chief yep. Jawa in, uh, and, uh, and he died in Hertfordshire, uh, in England, uh, in 97. So, uh, Jawas. Now there was another one I thought was a pretty weak special effect with the Jawas eyes. They were like, they, they, I, they, they, they looked like uh flashlights basically. Yeah. Like, that was yeah. bad. That was bad. So I don't know if he, if he touched those up. I only saw that updated version once. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's been a, it's been many years since I, I used to have the eight millimeter black and white, you know, little three minute roll of star Wars. I think probably still have it somewhere. And, um, but it was interesting because, you know, how do you, how do you put a, you know, full length movie into, you know, an eight minute, eight millimeter black and white thing, you know, with right. subtitles, cause there was no sound. And, uh, and, uh, but you could really see, I remember seeing the TIE fighters and you know how the TIE fighters would spin when they were, when they were on, you could see how in black and white, you could see the different cuts and how they, how they edited it together. Uh, you know, they just, Fox was just throwing stuff out there just making anything they could for marketing i mean they just <laughs> right, they right. didn't care man they were just throwing it out there but um but yeah and do you know what that, um, do you know what tie stood for no twin ion engine <laughs> twin okay. ion engine so there you go there's a bit of uh of that's why tie fighter and that's why it's always spelled capital t capital i capital e because it's initials for something yeah it's an abbreviation Interesting. Yep. Wow. There's so many. Yeah, just um, yeah, it was good. it was iconic. That movie was it, it meant a lot to me when it came out, and I I, yeah. I loved it. I loved it, and uh, and obviously it still has staying power. We're still talking about it. You know, it's still referenced all the time. When they Carrie and those guys are brought on, is I think they call them legacy performers when they were coming in for the last batch of Star Wars movies. Yeah, uh, bringing the three of them back. And uh, and the other guys that were in costumes. <laughs> the, yeah, um... <laughs> the only the only thing that disappointed me was that they they never had the three of them together again. They reunited. There was a scene with uh, with Han and Leia together, 
where they kind of reunite. And then there's a scene in the second film with Leia and Luke together, but they never put the three of them together. And they weren't, apparently weren't going to, because they killed Han in the first film in the first of the, the new films. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe they were planning on finally putting them together in the third film, but then Carrie Fisher died before they made the third film and that screwed up their plans, but they had killed Han Solo off in the first one. So he wasn't, unless he was going to somehow come back as a force ghost, well, there's, didn't you say that some of them were sure, then they CGI him back to be younger before the first movie? I mean, I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could have always. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they killed Han off in the first episode. In the first episode, and you don't see Luke until the last shot of that movie. So that was they. For whatever reason, I don't know why they just were never going to put the three of them together on screen, even though you got them all to come back. And I think it's kind of what everybody isn't was that waiting funny for, in but, Disney. And Disney is always about that sort of manipulating emotion. So you'd have thought mm. there was all that hype of the three of them coming back. And uh, I'm sort of surprised that Disney didn't do that. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, or maybe they wanna, did. I don't want to be a toxic, is, I don't want to be a toxic fan or whatever and get into the nitty gritty of that. But that was the one thing that stood out to me as a disappointment. Was but Disney, you know what? They're not stupid. They probably do have that footage somewhere. They're just going to redo it, you know, re-release it as the, you know, I'll bet you, I'll bet you maybe, you know, in another 10, 20 years, but I'll bet you because Lucas, you know, they, what Disney, they sold it. I, I couldn't tell you for how much, but they, mm-hmm. Lucas sold it to them and they already made it back like in the first movie. You know, it was they, it was, they, it, was uh, it was in the several billions of dollars I believe that they paid yeah. for it. Yeah, but they they made that back in the first of the you know the last batch that they did. It was a so, good investment, and and Lucas hates them because they're doing things with characters. So, um, so yeah, I, I Disney. Yeah, they're not stupid. They got all that stuff in the can. I'll bet you. I'll bet you we'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you bought the 4K disc set for 100 bucks. Well, guess what? You didn't get all of it. <laughs> no. <Nope. Nope. laughs> There's the super special edition. Uh, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. No, honestly, dude, if they if they um put the original trilogy unmessed with on four K disc, I would I would pay very good money. I would pay premium money to to own a copy of that. Mm-hmm. Because it sucks that mm-hmm. I have a copy that I basically have to fast forward the, the stuff I don't like whenever I watch it. It just kinda sucks. Yeah. But. But some of the stuff they messed with before they did the big 90s thing was, like, they kept tweaking the hologram with Leia when she does the, you know, help me, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope thing that the R2 unit plays. They kept messing with that effect for some reason. At one point, they added scan lines to it. And it seemed like every time they came out with the – they re-released the film, and they did something new to that. And I don't know why they had – they took issue with how that effect was done. I thought it was fine, uh, the old versions that I saw of it. but yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. saying this, and I literally just spent the last year updating one of my own films <laughs> and adding a bunch of stuff into it and redoing the color grade and stuff. Yeah, so I get, you I mean, kind I get of the, overanalyze. I get, I get that. Yeah. But when you're talking about something that you know several millions of people are into, you're kind of it's again, it's like mustache right. on the Mona Lisa kind of thing. You got to be really careful. You don't you don't distract from uh, yeah. you know what the original intention was. No. Uh, it's just interesting how Carrie Fisher, you know, her in that, you know, tied up in the slave girl thing. Oh, my yeah. God. People are that's like iconic. That's like a lot of young men's first thing was seeing Carrie Fisher as in the bikini. Uh, <laughs> yeah, into a slug. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that is. Um, yeah, that that turned it. I was surprised at how, how iconic that became, how many people attribute that to their first 
crush. We'll uh-huh. say. <laughs> but, and there's um, great behind the scenes photos of her and her double uh, laying and sunning themselves in the desert uh, between takes. Oh, Lounging and oh, I think with those costumes wearing, on. I think they're both in the costumes. Oh, they're definitely. I think they're both definitely skimpily clothed in this uh, in the sunbathing shot. I think they're in those costumes. I can't remember, but yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. Did we do it? Did we do Star Wars? I think we did. Yeah. That was. Uh, yeah. It was. It was. It was a lot of. That was really interesting. I'm really. I found that fascinating. I, uh, I did know, too. Not not in a way that you know. It's really interesting about me, Mike. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, I, I'm like but, an actor. I just like people to hear me talk. Yeah, know. yeah. So, um, but yeah, that was fun. Thanks. That was cool. Thank you guys. Uh, we will see you guys uh, next time. And um, we uh, uh, again check out our Patreon if you haven't already. Dearly Departed Podcast on Patreon. And also, we do, uh, if you only listen to the audio versions of this, we also do a video version that we release usually a couple days after the audio version on Scott's YouTube channel, which is. Oh, uh, now it's Dearly Departed with Scott Michaels. Do you think I froze? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's dearly departed with scott michaels is the name of the channel on youtube yeah, yeah check yeah. it out you got yeah. how many you got like sixty thousand followers and subscribers now Some 70, crazy amount yeah, Seventy thousand. Yeah. yes that's yeah. awesome so and scott puts up all kinds of extra content he went through uh was it rock hudson's rolodex that you recently mm-hmm. did yes yes yeah. yeah and that's uh, cool did you see the I, I had that opened up i had that ted cassidy life mask Lurch from the Adams family. Oh my God! No, it's, no. I mean, it's like it's like this. It's massive. Uh, that was well, what I did uh, fairly recently too. So, um, so, yeah. so check out uh, "Dearly Departed" with Scott Michaels on YouTube while you're at it, and uh, we will see you. We are going to make it out of the 27 Club. We will see you with episode 28 uh, in a few weeks. May the force be with you always. Yes. <laughs> This has been an episode of the Dearly Departed Podcast. Dig up more episodes at dearlydepartedpod.com and on iTunes and Google Play. See you next time. <laughs>